0: Hey Kyle, I thought it would be a good time to set up a little voice memo. I just listened to one of your Baldwin podcast conversations.
1: Just want to compliment on your great work. I find myself actually here sitting under some eucalyptus trees just about to set up a slack line overlooking the lago titicaca lake in Bolivia. Really appreciate
0: your work again and yeah much love to all the community.
1: I'm half English, half German, my name is Kevin and yeah one big hug to everyone. Thank you for sending that in Kevin. It sounds like you are having an amazing day my friend I love slacklining slacklining is one of the few sports where i can notice the effect that one beer has on my balance i'm not very good at slacklining but i can do it but after one beer i can't do it anymore it's a fun little experiment to run uh, if any of you want to send me a voice memo, let me know who you are, where you're listening from. You can record it on your phone and email it to info at kyle.surf, and we would love to play it. I'm going to read you a few passages from a book called Blue Mind by Wallace J. Nichols. And he has been on this podcast a few times He's a, uh one of my favorite guests. One of the many possible ways to describe a life would be as a series of encounters with various bodies of water. Time spent in, on, under, or near water, interspersed with the periods spent thinking about where, when, and how to reach it next. My first body of water, of course, was experienced as a zygote in my mother's womb, and the last, as I imagine it now, will be in the form of ashes cast over the Pacific. In between... I have been fascinated by, and privileged to, know many ponds, tanks, rivers, bottles, pools, lakes, streams, buckets, waterfalls, quarries, tubs, mists, oceans, downpours, and puddles. Once again, that was from Blue Mind. All right, guys, I have some exciting news to share with all of you, and I'm going to start it Uh, by telling you two stories the first is a story about one of my best buddies named shane and shane uh was the art director for the motherfucker awards he is a painter and we've been buddies since high school and uh one day a few years back shane came over to my house and he said hey man um have you ever heard of joe rogan i'm like no he's like dude he just did this podcast with a guy named aubrey marcus and they talk about ayahuasca which is this psychedelic that it's this vine and it's this crazy story man and we sat down in my living room and we listened to a podcast which i had never heard of i didn't know what a podcast was i didn't know what ayahuasca was i didn't know who joe rogan was and we listened to these these unfiltered tales um And we were like, you got like, this is, this is so real. Like, holy shit. It's just people talking and they're not censored and they're talking about stuff that's, that it's, it's edgy, but also helpful. And, um, man, how crazy that, that we can sit in our living room and be captivated for three hours with this new medium. Um, and then, uh, I started listening to more podcasts and started enjoying them more. And one day, uh, I got hit up by a guy named Brendan and Brendan wrote me a Facebook message. This was when I was, uh, doing the, the surfing for change series. And he said, Hey man, um, have you ever thought about starting a podcast he says I, you know, I I follow your work and I think you'd really be great at this. Um and he said, you know, you want to meet uh you want to meet for for a drink and we can talk about it. And I'm like, "Sure, yeah, I don't really know what it would take like how to start a podcast." He's like, "Oh, it's super simple. Here, like this is the audio equipment that you need. Um uh, my buddy Joe is an audio mixer. He'll help you get it started." And this dude just he held my hand as I started my podcast. Um and I had really had no idea why he was being so cool. Um, it was one of those situations where I was like, what is this guy going to ask for something after? And he just never did. He was just one of those humans that that helped. Um, and then Shane, the artist who I've been one of my best buddies, made all of the art for my podcast. Um, and again, he's he was the art director for the Motherfucker Awards. So these two guys helped me start what I've now been doing for three years. Um, And then uh, a a few months ago, I was in the car with Shane and he said, hey, man, you should uh, try this blend that I've been working on. It's this this blend of... uh, of masala chai and cacao and reishi and chaga and cordyceps and lion's mane and turmeric and he's like, dude, I'm I'm getting off coffee and this shit's good. It's called mud water. I'm going to turn it into a company and it's going to be rad. Like when, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, once we start making money, we're going to, we're going to donate to maps, which is the, the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. And it's going to be this totally new company. And, you know, as I grow it, I want it to be you know, plastic free. I'm like, dude, that, that would be awesome. If you made that happen, like this, this shit's actually kind of good. Um, and you know, I'll start drinking it. And then three months later, I get a fully packaged tin jar of mud water and Shane's like dude I'm doing it I just quit my job and this is gonna be my full time now uh thing now fuck yeah man like I'll I'll start drinking this This is amazing um and now I I drink mud water um and it's great and then (laughs) I know this is kind of a long story but then Brendan Brendan hits me up, and brendan says dude i'm I'm starting this company called santa Cruz medicinals, and we do uh c b d and uh, c b d coconut oil and m c t oil and c b d you know clay masks and and vape pens and you know we want to do this business right and like and separately says, you know and you know once we get this thing going, we want to start donating to the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies and like And Shane and and Brendan still have never met each other, okay? Both of their, their companies are taking off simultaneously. Both of them helped start this podcast. And now both of them are sponsoring this podcast. So that's the big news, is that this podcast is now sponsored by Mudwater and Santa Cruz Medicinals. And I use both of their products right here. As I'm drinking my mud water with CBD coconut oil in it Um, and for a long time I've uh, I've been very hesitant to bring sponsors on board not because there aren't you know a ton of amazing companies out there that make great products that I can stand behind but because um, I also want to be able to stand behind the people that make those products. And I know Shane and I know Brendan and I know that as these, their companies grow, they will continue to make ethical decisions that I can stand behind. Um, So I'm happy to tell you guys both about Mudwater, about Santa Cruz Medicinals, um, and I'm going to start doing um, gift uh, baskets. So uh, it's not up yet, but on my website, Kyle.Surf. I'm going to... um, We're going to start with 20. I'm going to give 20 signed copies of Wallace J. Nichols' book, Blue Mind, with um, Santa Cruz Medicinals products and mud water in it at a greatly discounted price. So all of you guys who listen to this podcast will be able to get a deal on all of this. And um, I'm thinking I'm going to do a new book every month. I'm going to start with 20. If you guys like it, you know, I can up the number. But um, this shift in, in how I'm going to be able to make money with the podcast is going to allow me to do it, um, pretty much full time. And that's fucking amazing. So I'm so grateful to Mudwater water and to Santa Cruz medicinals for allowing me to do this. Um, I want to continue to add value to all of you guys, um, as much as I can. And for those of you who donate on Patreon right now um, and don't want to do that anymore, I totally understand. Um, If you do want to keep donating, that money is going to go towards making this podcast bigger and better. Um, So for all of you who do, I really appreciate that. For those of you who listen to this show who aren't in a financial position to be able to buy these products or donate, please don't. Just keep listening to the show. Share it with friends. Be smart with your money. I will never tell you to buy something that you can't afford. Um, But for those of you who who do have a little bit of extra cash and you want to buy some some great stuff uh, for Christmas, for the relatives, go to mudwtr.com. That's mudwtr.com and scmedicinals.com. That's scmedicinals.com. And know that what you buy is helping keep this podcast going. And I don't know if I finished that story, but both of these companies now donate to MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, uh, which is helping, which is now in phase three trials, um, doing work on how how psychedelics can help people with anxiety, PTSD, depression, um, really important work. So how gangster is that shit couple friends who i know now have companies and they're doing it right and they're growing it right um so i'm just really proud to be working with Mudwater and santa cruz medicinals and with that on to the show this conversation is with nick von rupp and seth de nick von rupp is one of the best surfers in the world um he's a smart guy too he speaks like seven languages uh he's from portugal and he surfs waves the way that they're supposed to be surfed i know you say oh there's a bunch of different ways that you can surf a wave Ah, yeah there are but nick's he's so well-rounded he's just he looks good when he surfs a wave and he's a fucking amazing barrel rider. Um, I've surfed in Ireland with this guy, I've surfed all over the world with him and, and to see him in action is a spectacle um, and we had a great conversation um, we, just, we talked about surfing for a couple hours I got kind of high, that's why if you're like Kyle, why 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 are you sounding like such an idiot dude I think that I can give myself permission to get high like one out of every 20 episodes um <laughs> Uh and yeah, also with Seth derole, who's uh one of the best surf photographers in the world. I've known Seth forever. Um check him out on Instagram, um check out his work in Surfer Magazine. We've we go on trips all the time together and um we just had a blast. Talk shit for a couple hours and I wanted to get this episode out today because Probably the biggest swell of the year is hitting tomorrow, uh, up at Mavericks and the whole California coast is going to be lighting up. So for those of you who are listening to this in the next couple of days, please be careful, know your limits, um, be safe out there. Um, sometimes it's better to watch from the beach because the waves are going to be 50 feet tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to get this one going, um, Thank you again to all of you who show up, who send me voice memos, who give me feedback on the show, who recommend guests, and um, who are just out there making the world a little bit brighter. So with that, please welcome to the show Nick Von Rupp and Seth
0: 12 million habitats. It's um, like New York City plus a country. Exactly. More. <laughs> so it's a really small country. Um, we're really close. So basically, it's really funny the way if you look at Europe geographically. So you got the rich countries in the north. Uh, Finland, Sweden. As you go south, you got Germany, France, Spain, Portugal. It starts getting poorer and poorer and then you got Africa. So Portugal is right between you know, Europe. It's the bridge from Europe, Europe to, to Africa. Africa. To, it's
2: pretty funny because... They weren't very smart because the better weather is further south. You would have think that the people with all the money would have taken the nice sunny weather, it, not the freezing cold tundra. That's exactly... Well, that's what ha- what's happening right now. All the
0: people from the north are moving south because Portugal is an amazing country. And it's that hot that people don't get to work you know so we leave the cold you know european northern countries to do all the work and we we take in the sun right
1: so you get a lot of sun in portugal
0: yeah it's 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 really similar weather to california actually it's um really similar yeah mild water and wetsuits most of the year yeah three two never the water temperature doesn't change much during winter and summer
2: um it's it's pretty similar it's like santa barbara it's got that kind of vibe to it. Like That's four amazing. threes and hoods in the in the winter and like three twos in the summer.
1: I like wearing a wetsuit more than board shorts
0: sometimes. Me too. I like a
2: thin wetsuit. Oh, I can't stand surfing in it's, in board shorts. It's
0: amazing. It's amazing to put, you know what, like hands down, not going through the hassle of putting on a wetsuit, you know, just putting on your shorts and jumping in the water, going for a wave and coming back in. You don't do that with a wetsuit. Yes. You know, like you surf way more time. You than surf the more day. time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, you you know, you just want to jump in the water, go for two waves, come back in. That's and, you true. Know.
2: When I'm in Australia and I'm sitting there and the water's warm and the surf looks like eh, at home, I'd go home for sure. Yeah. But exactly. there I'm like, ah, I can just, just throw out my trunks, get four waves and get out. This yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Exactly. yeah.
1: Surfing in board shorts is like snacking throughout the day. Totally. You can go out for 20 minutes. You can come in, you yeah. can see the wind switch and go out mm-hmm. for another 20 minutes. You can mm-hmm. come in. Whereas surfing in a place like Ireland is like eating one huge meal. Exactly. (laughs) Dedicated. You're dedicated. And you feel that meal for... Uh, Oh, my God. The closest I've ever come to drowning was after I surfed in Ireland trying to get my wetsuit off.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! Let me get this off, please! I'll do anything! But I like, I like the comfort of surfing in a wetsuit. There's just something about it that, like, makes me feel because I do it every day. When I get in trunks, I feel like I'm in a foreign environment.
1: What kind of wetsuit do you wear?
2: Uh, I actually just got a new XL.
1: Those are nice wetsuits. I, get a, I
2: got a bunch of new wetsuits from a bunch of different companies and I got an O'Neill, a Volt, and an XL and I gotta say the XL is... It's good. It's next good. level. Yeah. Nothing
1: better than Hurley. I tell
2: you that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, but I, I tell you what, I feel Pepsi like...
1: Pepsi is the choice of a new generation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but going back to your conversation, I've always felt that I like, that charge way harder in a suit than I do in board shorts, especially when it's when it's a hooded suit. I feel super protected with gloves and boots. You know, it feels like you're you're gearing up for for like a fight. You know, for going sure. to war. Yeah, it's know? like battle. It's and then you're out there, you're like protected, super like you know, tucked in in your wetsuit, and it just makes you go. That's that's the feeling I get. Yeah. You, know?
1: you ever tape your wetsuit? You ever put duct tape around the cuffs of your wetsuit? No. No. <laughs> I saw some guys doing that recently. And yeah. it would kind of make sense for big wave surfing because shit can get blown off, but uh oh taping okay taping you know what okay. I mean yeah, like right. you tape around the the edges because uh stuff gets blown up, but I don't know it was, yeah, the
0: eh. actually the scariest situation I had um well, you know, if a glove flies off or a boot glove flies off, there's no worries, but I had my wetsuit pulled up all to my top of my face, where like. You know, I was underwater panicking (laughs) because it's just a strange feeling. Yeah, it feels like you're
1: getting wrapped up in a bag. Yeah,
0: yeah. Where was was that? That was in, um, you want details, GPS coordinates?
1: No, just tell me a story. (laughs) Exactly. If it's a (laughs) secret spot, you can just change the name. No,
0: it wasn't like a huge wave, um, but we got some pretty heavy like slabs in in Portugal, um, outer reefs, kind of, you know, just big barrels that... It's, it's a mix between, like, a, you know, normal slab and, like, a outer reef kind of deep water thing. So I fell on this wave, pretty bad wipeout, and I think took me pretty deep. And, yeah, it was so violent that it just, you know, like, my hood just got pushed up. And, and I remember I came up, like, ski was right there to pick me up. And the dude said I was, like, red, you know, like, in panic. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> yeah, you come up, and it's a headless man. Exactly. Exactly. So it was... Um, yeah, it was pretty scary. That was that was definitely one of, you know, when you, when something happens, you don't expect. You know, like you think you got everything in, under control. You know, you've you've fallen a million times. You've been almost had two wave hold downs, but then that happens. It's like wow.
1: Yeah, something that you didn't expect. Mm, exactly. That's a good point because yeah. if you fall on a big wave, you can kind of go into a mode that you expected because you thought about it before. But it's like when shit throws you a curveball and something happens completely like. I was surfing like this. Pelican came down and just popped me in the head. I didn't expect that. It was scarier than almost drowning. Exactly. Well, yeah, totally. You know, we, we, you know, when you fall, it's just you've done it.
0: You've been in that situation a million times. You know, you've you already know what it feels like. You know how long it takes, how heavy, like where it's gonna throw you, and then you know, like okay, now it's time to come up, and all of a sudden, you know, something completely different happens that you're not expecting that's when, for me, is kind of... Right. Did you always like surfing big waves? Um, It's a funny one because, well, I grew up like that, in a way. Like, we got big waves in Portugal in general. Like, we got plenty of swell every time. We got a lot of reef breaks. I wouldn't say I I was, like, the bravest kid. Um, Something that I... I wouldn't say I was scared of waves, but something that really made me panic was rocks. I couldn't walk on rocks... um, it just really scared me and i grew up with Jerome said actually he's a you know accomplished big wave rider these days and he at that time this was like the first generation of pro surfing in Portugal you know with Thiago had just got sec had just gotten second in Thiago Perez exactly yeah. Thiago Perez uh, was like the first portuguese getting you know international recognition did he
1: get second one year he
0: got he got second at sunset sorry second at sunset so like during triple crown that yeah. was kind of a big thing that was like my first surfing year right and um, everyone was very direction towards like s- competition surfing everyone wanted to be like the next Thiago Perez and Joao um, had a completely different approach to us like instead of Portugal is very rich in every types of waves so we got really bad waves but we also have really good day, like really good waves that break at the same time so there was a culture leaning towards getting as good as you can in and, and bad waves so you can qualify you know get good on the QS and Joao always took us in a different direction he like hey guys let's you know, like surfing small waves is important, but let's you know let's go explore. Let's go surf these reef breaks that no one wants to surf because you know it. You know, surfing six foot waves, ten foot waves. When you're grom, it's 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 a it's you know it's 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 a hustle. You know, sure. you got to run after it after tides, and it's you know growing up as a grom, it's scary. But it, it was really cool. It was a really amazing experience to, you know, to experience the true surfing you understand that the essence of surfing of going out and exploring and surfing good waves and and doing it for the right reasons not for a title not for becoming the best but really for you know enjoying great great waves with your friends and sure well you guys get so much swell in portugal too portugal is man it's it's been a it's been an emotional roller coaster to be honest and just you know, where Portugal was five years ago and where it is these days. What do you mean? Just, you know, I used to travel the world and tell people about Portugal and no one cared. It was like, yeah, yeah, Portugal, what, Spain,
1: Brazil? People didn't even know where it was. Right, that's an interesting point. It's on the map now. Yeah, well... It's, now my in-laws know about Nazare.
2: My exactly. parents too. Yeah, and my parents I get, know nothing about surfing. Exactly. Yeah. It's
0: it's funny. It's really it's really had a 180 degree switch. Yeah. Because you know, and and for us growing up wanting to to be a professional surfer and learn about big waves and go to Mavericks, go to Jaws, like we had no support. You understand? We just show up in places and wig ourselves. You know, try to make it happen for some reason. You know, and um, it was far away from home. We like be gone all year. We would go to Hawaii. We go to Australia. Try to learn with the best. And I feel like that's changed.
2: Like, yeah. Now you guys have crazy support. You guys get like training support and pool support. And, yeah. Like, well, like, now no you have the best. I'm, I'm and not, now you have
0: the best surfers I, in the world coming ex- ex- to you. Exactly. That's the that's, difference. That's, that's that. That's where I wanted to come. It's not not so much like a what has created around. It's like it's surfing like portugal is a hub an international hub for surfing these days everyone that you know serves big waves these days and and wants to be on the on the world tour and and you know get xxl nominees is coming to portugal and at least checking it out you know it's it's pretty amazing it's kind of it's found its place as the beginning of the season for big wave surfing and it's it's really inspiring you know like i I got everything at half an hour distance from my house these days, you know, the latest safety meetings, the latest equipment for surfboards, paddle, you know, paddle and quad and, um, it's just, do you live close to Nazaré?
1: Yeah. I live like an hour away, but it's, it's, it's just a wave rich, um, dude, that place looks amazing. I've never been there. I really want to come to Portugal, but the energy at a wave like Nazaré Like I can only imagine the amount of energy that comes through that canyon, and to see those peaks, it's like a wonder of of the
2: moving on the inside. It's like like a wonder of the world. It is a wonder of the world. Like you stand up and you look down at these rips and swirls, and you're like, you can't even believe how much water is actually moving, and like watching guys move underwater and where they go down to where they pop up, and like just thinking, knowing how the beatings I've taken and like what they're doing between point A and point B Fuck. is next. Yeah.
1: Level. Are there crazy currents that come through that? Cause it's like, I would imagine that a lot of swells are ping ponging off that cliff. And how does the whole thing work?
0: Well, there's one of the deep deepest underwater canyons in the world that filters all the swell into one direction, into one, you know, a little stretch of coastline. So it's a man Nazare is is the how do you like the stadium of of surfing and you know like you're right there the wave breaks right there
2: it's like a cathedral cathedral. you are it's like if you had like a bird's eye view of Mavs from the channel and you have a fort to stand on and you're watching guys up above go below you on like 60 footers and you're just like whole it's a- and the thing that's crazy is how long it is like if you whip into one outside the fort on a big day and you kick out you've covered probably hundreds of yards like it's like snowboarding down a mountain because of how long you're going it's like the endless ride like it's crazy the distance they travel that was i think the thing that blew my mind the most when i saw it because we, we saw it pretty big and it was how far a distance they're going from when they let go of the rope. It's not like a short, quick, get in, get in, get out kind of deal. It's like, you're riding this swell for like a distance like you got time to all over the place
1: you're snowboarding
0: down a double black diamond yeah totally you're seriously snowboarding you see some of those people out there you know like they're snowboarding you I feel like toe surfing at Nazare is closer to
2: snowboarding than it is to surfing totally (laughs) you're ollieing like mogul to mogul you're like there's like big bumps in these waves and you're going so fast you like click to the next one like connecting the dots
0: yeah well the point is you know there's been a lot of good press about Nazare. There's been a lot of bad press about Nazare. People say all sorts of stuff, but what you can't deny is that it's the most consistent wave in the world. Okay, we're okay. Mavericks is has been really consistent this year. It's it's going to break next week, straight.
1: It's a very inconsistent wave, but though. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: this year, that's what I mean. You understand? Right. For example, okay, we're going. How many swells have you had this year? That's been twenty foot. What? There's been three swells. Okay, let's say Nazare has had...
2: 20 days at 25. Wow,
0: man, I'd say more than 20 yeah. days at 25. Already. Yeah, you know.
2: Already. They'll get 50, 60 big wave days in a year. Yeah. yeah.
0: So there's no place like that. And when I'm speaking like guys like Billy that are not the greatest fans of, of Nazarene, I 100% agree Nazareth. is not the best big wave spot in the world you know i froth way more on a wave like mavericks where you can actually like get a steep drop and pull into a barrel um or jaws which is a point break you know just perfect when you know the energy you feel out there but you can't deny the consistency of nazare and you can't deny the the mountains of water the size of that thing it's fucked up.
1: Yeah. yeah, I love the snowboarding comparison, Dude, it's It makes me think of Jeremy Jones totally. snowboarding it's down. It's what it makes
2: you think of. Yeah, it does. And like, are re- like anyone who can really like truly further? You ever see
1: Jeremy up. Jones movie? Further? Yeah. All those He's ones. He's incredible. Where, yeah, those those far back shots. Yeah. That's what Nazare looks like. It yeah. does. But there's so much ground
0: still to be broken at Nazareth. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. so much ground. And They're ones are, that get
2: hollow. They're, you'll see these fifty footers just go. Ah, so I, t- I tell
0: you, I tell you what. So. Nazareth is can be mushy if you're surfing the outside peak if you actually got the balls to whip into to those inside bombs like people are starting to do and do proper toe performance surfing there's gonna be some fucked up shit that's gonna happen you know like guys like Chumbu like it's there's some scary shit and you you know like you'd pulling into 60, 80-foot barrels. Like, huge barrels, you know? But on
1: the inside. On the inside. Right. Yeah. My thoughts on Nazare are very similar to yours. I think why people hate on it, the reason why I hate on it sometimes, is that you have guys that aren't very good at surfing catching 100-foot waves, and it's like, uh, yeah, was it that hard? Like, you didn't didn't catch the wave yourself. Whereas I think that what you're doing, the reason I like you as a surfer is you're a tube hound. Like, you're not just out there to catch the biggest wave in the world and snowboard down it. You want to find the barrel. Yeah, well, I don't
0: know. That's that's my passion. You know, like, we all know the... The, the mother of, 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 of the turn of of all turns is, is getting into that barrel. know, Yeah. The Holy grail, the Holy grail. Exactly. Um, you know, that's Nazareth, you know, it's, it's really has attracted a lot of people. I don't know, man. It's, it's hard to say everyone, you know, it's has attracted people that maybe don't have the experience to be there. You understand? Sure. And you know, it, 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 it really does the zero to hero effect for a lot of people i've seen people you know it's, you know
1: <laughs> you know yeah no i do know zero <laughs> i to do hero. Know. well Can't well big wave surfing it. in general has the zero to hero effect i don't think so i don't think so like guys like
0: you guys like me guys like chumbu billy camper like we've worked really hard to climb that ladder to come to a position where we are these days you understand like we've 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 checked we've ticked all the boxes to kind of to get where we are you understand and catch the ways we do i feel like you know out of nazareth you can buy your ticket to to kind of status right. you understand and i don't think that's right you know like it's like building a house without pillars kind of you know like it's going to break eventually and um It's a very good analogy. Yeah. I don't know.
1: It's, I don't know. It's, it's... Yeah. No, I, I 100% hear you on that. I think that, um, big wave surfing is unique in the way that non-surfers are also interested in it. If you see someone catch, you know...
2: It's it's the only thing they'll ever be interested in. It's the only thing they'll ever be interested in. I come from a no-surfing background. Nobody I grew up with surfed. My parents don't surf. And I could say anything about surfing that to any one of us is like common knowledge And they would look at me like I'm clueless. I would say maybe two out of five people probably know who Kelly Slater is. Right. And that's mostly because he was on Baywatch or something else. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the surfing. But They wouldn't know he's a world champion how many times or any of this. But every single person has been in the ocean. So when you see surf... That's so big that it could kill you and it's mystifying, it can capture their imagination. Ten turns of the beach, no matter how crazy the blowtails are, will never capture the public's imagination.
1: The most common question a surfer will ever get, do you know Laird Hamilton?
2: Or Garrett McNamara. Or Garrett
1: McNamara. You know what's right. funny? So that's the, that's the point, right? Is that yeah. eight out of ten of those relatives might yeah. know who Laird or Because Garrett they were are.
2: with Anderson and, Cooper.
1: Right. And they can see it and it looks death defying. So they're staring their own mortality yeah. in the face and it has yeah. a more uh, visceral reaction than just seeing some guy do an amazing blowtail reverse.
2: Yeah. yeah. That will just never... You
1: don't, you don't look at your own mortality by <laughs> watching someone do a blowtail reverse. No, yeah. you don't. So your point. You know what? It, it has
0: come to a point. You know, Nazareth is one of one of the most impo- most important cultural um, venues in portugal you understand like right. pe-
2: as a tourist attraction as as it t- is t- next level really? it is wild people- it is busloads day de- even on flat days it is busloads of people walking down the road to the fort it is cr- the tourism blow up is
0: i was garrett McNamara? Is one of the biggest celebrities in Portugal. I'd say top. I'm. I'm gonna say top two after Cristiano, like the second most famous dude. My sister is six years old, and she comes up to me asking if I know Garrett McNamara. So he's he's really like what he had. What he has done over there is amazing. Is amazing. You know, it's it's really, it's it's exper- It's he has experienced. He had the power to really
2: change it's the city. insane so they revitalized like, the town it's exactly. crazy you can wow. see like the growth and the rebuild because it's an old town and you can see how crumbled and falling apart it is at the structure what does it look like it's like a old european portuguese beach town but it's bigger than you think it's not it's almost like a little mini city but it's not like big buildings. It's old cobblestone streets, like real classic Europe. Small, small streets. But it's old and you can see it's kind of dirty and it's kind of, it's got a, an older vibe of just kind of poverty and struggle. And then you can see this surface of sudden influx of money on top of it because there's this sudden huge influx of tourism from this old town that nobody thought about nobody stopped there nobody nobody other than the people that live there it wasn't like this booming hub but now all of a sudden it is like tour buses turning in these tiny streets that aren't made for tour buses but it's beautiful it's got these beautiful old just stone cobbles and churches and it's it's really pretty it's really special it's yeah it's it's amazing you know growing
0: up As a Grom competing, we used to have events at Nazare and no one wanted to stay in Nazare, you know? Like, it's just too far away, it's too cold and the waves are not that great, you know? While they do get good, but it's just not consistent as other spots. Is Nazare a consistent spot as a small wave? There's just not many options right there, you know? There's Nazare, um, which is 20 foot almost every day. Around the corner, there's a little right there's another beach break further down that's pretty slabby kind of beach break which is fun too but you just don't have that consistency as you have in irisera or where i live there's just a lot of options for different types of waves like paniche so it's you know nazare wasn't very attractive um it's just a fisherman town not you know it's a lot of nice people and and you know a lot of Great food, but very humble and and real, you understand? Like you know,
1: it's Yeah. Now I'm uh, picturing a lot of fish markets on cobblestone streets. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's very you can tell it's very local. It's not something that has had this famous cathedral that for the last hundred years people have been repeatedly coming to see, so this industry of tourism has built up around it. It's but it's this beautiful beachfront port, so there's really one street along the beach that has all the shops and that's like where everything is and then as you kind of move back into town you kind of get this real kind of working class locals you that's know cool. it, it's not like a high money you're not seeing these huge mansions on the beach of like yeah overindulgent yeah it's i get this the picture. real rootsy vibe
1: so i'm friends with a guy named kamaki worthington he's a hawaiian waterman who does uh safety for garrett um, he lives on the North Shore. Super nice guy, and he told me after uh, going over there for one of his first times, he said the pole that Garrett McNamara has in Portugal is insane. He got like he got the Navy or something to show up on the beach and do extra safety for them, or like I just heard these stories that like. That's a. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, to hear that you say that Garrett is one of the biggest celebrities in the country. It's it's it's
0: it's amazing that like the access to politicians we have in Portugal and how involved they are with surfing is, is just you know you don't see that nowhere. Um, you know they obviously the you know politicians all, also see surfing as a way of promotion. Uh, right. But, you know like. The county of Nazaré is super in sync with the surfers and the safety of the place. So they put in, you know, they put on on the big days, they they put in extra safety. They take care of uh, ambulances on the beach. You know, they... They have they open up the Ford for people to you know, they have filmers, photographers and it's it's pretty amazing. They're accommodating. You know? Yeah, they're super accommodating. It's 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 cool.
2: If you ever go there on a big day, make sure you climb down the ladder on the back side of the fort to the lower level and go down there and watch for a little bit. It's an experience that is definitely worth doing. It's one of those things in my world travels that I'll remember forever.
3: Yeah,
2: it's the sketchiest ladder setup, and you go to this lower level, and you're just watching like sixty foot miles oh. of water, and you're down at like lo- lower crazy. level, it's and crazy. the rock sticking there, and it's and hitting the dude, rock and like hundred foot explosions, and you're just sitting there like.
0: There's a ladder, that goes all the way down. Is is that the one yeah, you're that's talking, what about? talking about? Yeah. There, honestly. There's someone that's going to die there.
2: For sure. But it's worth doing anyway. It's because
1: you go down a ladder and you're, then you're on the
0: cliff. You're on the
2: cliff. And there's
1: 100 foot waves coming hitting, at you. Hitting so, the cliff before and exploding
0: on top of that ladder. And it's like a sketchy little ladder.
2: It's it's like bolted steel to, the, to a cliffside. So but let me that, tell you about the first time I went down this ladder. So I had met these two German kids at Nick's house the night before. And we had this great family dinner and then I I see them the next morning and it turns out they're micro dosing on acid and they were tripping out of their mind. And this kid shows up with a joint about the size of my arm and he like (laughs) walks me down to this ladder and I had no idea where I was going and he gets us all baked. And we walk down there and he like follows down this ladder. It turns out the kid's like a circus performer. He's like a German circus performer. So he's like all used to this high wire, whatever. And he just like scampers down this ladder like it was nothing. Meanwhile, I'm like white knuckling my way down this ladder. Can and you, it's easily 65 foot out 60, there.
1: Okay. And are, are, is it, would it be possible to get hit by a wave down there?
2: I don't or know. it spray? There's spray it's all spray. over the place. Oh, my God. It's but, tons of tons of water. It's There's so much water moving around you. You're thinking every wave is going to take you out. But, we, you know, we never did. But here's this kid who is just out of his mind and, like, takes us down there. And then we get down there finally. And then there's, like, a cliff wall. And it drops, like, probably 70, 80 more feet to the ocean. And he, like, gets up on the wall and stands there, and it's, like, blowing wind, spraying everything, and, like, puts his arms out, and this kid's, like, I'm, like, I am like i couldn't even do that sober, and here's this kid just tripped out on acid. I'm, like, man, I really hope this kid doesn't fall right now. A little bit of acid can give you be superpowers. I know I can. <laughs> well, at least you can think you have You can think you have
1: superpowers, and it's all in the mind, so then it becomes superpowers. Superpowers. But I wouldn't want to do that. I don't, like taking psychedelics in a high intensity situation. No, that sounds terrifying, but just doing that, you wouldn't need any drugs to have that be a spiritual experience. I mean, let's, let's face it. Drugs hold up. Like they attach to receptors that you have in your mind that make you feel a certain thing. So the point of that is that those receptors are already there. So you could climb down a ladder and be watching hundred foot waves, come in like these massive teepees that are as big as circus tents and those same receptors in your brain are going to fire off and you're going to feel like it's a spiritual experience like it's an altered experience and that's the shit yeah. that's what we all dedicate our lives to is that those moments right there it's not even always riding the wave that no. gives you those moments it's the snapshots that you get where you look around and you say holy shit i'm lucky yeah, yeah, and I tell you what,
0: being in like in the water, have like looking at Nazareth from the water and seeing these mountains of of water just like coming at you. I'm th- like at this t- time I'm speaking about being on a jet ski out there, like looking at I lit, just you know you don't need to paddle or anything. Just sitting on a jet ski and looking at Mount like those huge. Mountains of water it's just it's an experience. It's like looking at, you know, I had the same feeling when I went to the Grand Canyon, for instance, you know, just looking at like this, like the rawest, you know, just nature at its fullest right in front of you. It's it's amazing in that sense. It's it's very special. Yeah,
1: it's Those moments where you have to start breathing through the nose and yeah. focus on your breath Exactly, where everything is so big yeah. that you just need to think, just keep breathing, yeah. just keep breathing. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, but, man. But um, I got a funny story. So first time I went to Nazaré, I was 16. It's, well, it's not that funny, but it's it's a good story. Um, I was like this grom, like really enthusiastic about just big waves and slabs and stuff like that. And so Ross Clark Jones, Manoa, Jolie, and a couple other dudes came into Portugal to like, you know, surf big waves, whatever. First time ever. So they went, they went up to Nazaré on a huge day. It was like a hundred foot, sunny offshore. I've never seen it like that, and it was just firing. And I remember Ross Clark Jones like walking around, like you know, going down to the beach, checking it out. Like we had everything, skis, everything ready to go, and they all turned their back and left. This was like the biggest big wave surfers at the time. Like you know, they're, you know, they weren't ready for it. You know, like guys that dedicate their lives chasing the biggest waves in the world. Like arriving at the biggest wave in the world ten years before anyone else and just turning their back and leaving. You know, like it'd
1: That's be smart.
0: Yeah, smart for sure. Smart. Well, yeah. It's you know being the first one arriving there at such a size looks impossible, you know, like it's that scary. And um, you know, I th- I think, you know, Ross has been there now and he charges, he's amazing. But it just gives you a real perspective of, of what it is. And I got to take my hat off to to Garrett for being the first one and, and really embracing that challenge of surfing Nazare because it's easy uh, these days. There's a million skis out. Everything is organized. If shit hits the fan, there's ambulances on the beach. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's when you're breaking new ground in any aspect of surfing – that's a lonely space to be, and then everyone can follow that, that same path, and it becomes way easier. But um, I, it's like some of the Brazilian guys surfing Jaws, but, uh, paddling into Jaws. Before, or Jeff Clark at Mavericks. Or Jeff Clark at Mavericks. Imagine yeah.
2: sitting out at Mavericks yeah, alone I, for 10 years, just thinking of the food chain that you're sitting in, not to mention crazy. the big waves. Yeah. like crazy just crazy just sit out there alone nobody would even know like and it's such the scariest inside beating i can't even imagine that tipped tip my hat to that guy for years well how
3: do
1: you know how far out you are yeah right if you're sitting out there to try and triangulate yourself and not get caught inside or would oh, be so difficult
2: i can't you know like i heard a great quote i forget who said it but it was when you when you get stuck inside on a big day it's the loneliest place in the world and it truly is and I can't even imagine being out there alone getting caught inside that must truly be the loneliest guy at that moment in the whole wide world for sure world.
0: you're so far away from shore and the cliffs you seem like you're you're by yourself I feel like Nazare there's still like if
2: you're getting caught there's a million people looking out for you and you know yeah. but screaming. you know what's crazy about Nazare is how it like holds you in that water turbulence It almost like it doesn't blow you to the beach you kind of get like just held like 80 yards from the beach in the hell hole of that's inside. what I was
1: picturing a kind of yeah. toilet bowl that refracts off the cliff
2: I don't have a board if I'm swimming I know it's happened to me a bunch but maybe you broke your board or you got your leash ripped and you're just sitting in like one of those Mexican beach break rips for like 20 <laughs> minutes and you're like okay it well sucks you're like yeah, yeah. Can, I, can you kind of give me a moment here right me but it's such here. a different
1: experience when you see people on in the channel yep. who have your back and that's why it takes such a balls to do what jeff clark did and yeah. or what any early ocean goer totally. did. if you it doesn't they don't even have to be on a surfboard yeah. think about some of those early abalone divers up oh, in mendocino god. going out there without wetsuits diving down to the bottom of sharky ass water oh god freezing cold foggy northern california and popping an abalone off the bottom like, what? Or, I mean, let's take oh. it way back. Native Americans, oh. the Ohlone that lived in Santa Cruz, like when they were the San Lorenzo River, uh, before they built the harbor there, used to have massive salmon. You see these old photos of early fishermen taking it on before the path was paved. Oh.
2: <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Or even like a lot of my friends are Uni fishermen down in Santa Barbara. And some of the stories that they have, you know, picking urchin because they go down for a long time and your backs to the ocean, you're looking down picking uni and, you know, there's some there's some big things that swim above you often. And like those guys, after they pick uni, like, you know, the oceans all churned up and smells delicious and they'll actually get in the basket or like ride right above the basket back up to the boat because the swim back up is so... Just like
1: spearfishing, such a hardcore sport. So hard. I'm not very good at it. I've done it for the last couple of years and it's so terrifying. Yeah. It's fun. It's beautiful. It is like you go down and on a clear day, you feel like you're in an aquarium. Oh, it's amazing. And you realize that there's life below you at all times, but it is s- b- 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 key. Yeah. yeah. How about those guys that do it at night? Yeah. Yeah. You go lobster diving At night Yeah Or even
2: spearfishing You know, or, what, my sh- spear you know fishing. what my
0: shaper does He gets absolutely Blasted Drunk Can't even walk And gets into the ocean At 1am By himself To go fishing And just sh- swims Until 6am But he practicing. swims Or he's in a boat No no He swims Yeah he goes spearfishing spe- He goes spearfishing Drunk Is this Completely, cemented? Way- Yeah cemented dude
2: like, he's a legend. He's from the East Coast.
0: He's, whew, it no, seems he's like from the West Coast, but he moved to Portugal back in the 70s. Seems like he'd get
2: uh,
1: seasick,
0: drunk spearfishing. No, he says he's he's like, he's like completely blasted on land, can't even walk, and as soon as he jumps in the water, he's like, fine.
2: Does he go no wetsuit? No, he goes wetsuit for sure. That would be legendary, <laughs> just to speed it's up. way too cold. You
1: get so cold spearfishing so quickly. Yeah. Because you oh you realize that once you dive down twenty feet, the it's, water temperature drops a
2: lot. Yeah, it's like a windy day though. You know, like it's amazing how much the water temp can drop after a windy day. You get a little bit of upwelling, and it's instantly so much colder. Yeah. If I have a beer a
1: night bef- the night before I go spearfishing, I can't do it because I can't clear my ears because the mucus <laughs> from the alcohol it uh, coagulates and there is nothing more painful than trying to spearfish yeah. and your ears aren't clearing.
2: Yeah. I, 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 I can't dive yeah. anymore. Cause I actually, I was doing one of the PFI training breath holding courses and I blew my ear out pretty bad and it's oh, been two and a half years now and it's still after I go down after about 15 feet, I, might, I can't get my left ear to clear.
1: That sucks. Have you had surgery on your ear? I haven't. Have you? No. Yeah. Uh,
2: no, not yet. I think I'm going to need it soon, though. Hey,
1: um, one question.
0: How do you feel like has the sport progressed um, out here at, at, at Mavericks before vest and after vest? Because I was watching a clip from 98, and dudes were absolutely charging, like packing the bowl, like behind the bowl without a vest. And I feel like sport has gotten so much safer with a vest And I'm not sure if people are charging more. What do you think?
1: I think that uh, the progression has been way more pronounced at Jaws. You see what those guys in Maui are doing and the way that they're riding big waves now. That is sick. Seeing what was going down at the Jaws contest. I think that um, Mavericks is a spot that a lot of people go to who aren't very good big wave surfers, and they're only out there because they have a vest. And it's still it can be an accommodating big wave at a certain size when it's small enough because you're taking off in basically the same spot every time. So it's not very hard. But then once it gets to a certain size, like we're going to see on this next swell, there are two distinct groups. And everyone who doesn't isn't really sure about being out there moves to the shoulder and then you see a core group of guys like, well, Pete, like Pete Mel, who will be over deep. You'll see guys like Jamie Mitchell. You'll see, you know, guys that really want it. So the point is that I feel like at a certain size, um, it almost becomes easier to get waves. Um, but,
2: but I also feel like Mavericks is a different kind of wave. Like right. guys could send it at Mavericks back then. Just like they do now, because the wave's not so much a performance wave. It's kind of a hero wave, where it's one big peak, and it's, do you have the stones to go? Can you paddle into it? Can you make the drop? And can you make it to the channel? There's not this, like, Jaws is this long, stretched out, down-the-line, perfect reef break, where... The quality of surfing has room to get better. Like, I don't know how much more you can do at Mavericks that hasn't already been done because there's no way on a big day you're going to be able to paddle in on the bowl. It's just not, it shelves too hard too quickly. So to further answer your question, it's a good question.
1: Um, I think that one aspect where Mavericks, the surfing Mavericks has progressed a lot in recent years is on the left.
2: For sure. The from guys like
1: Healy and Lucas Chumbo, I know that you're looking at the left, and even regular footers like uh, Russell Bierke. Like, th- th- I think that, that there is room to catch a glory barrel out there, but I think that if uh, there were more toe days at Mavericks, that's where you'd see some crazy I'm, shit go down. I agree with
2: both of them. I think the left, man. though, is where really there's a, a. I don't think anybody has truly caught that left because I sit over there a lot and shoot, pretty much from there all day. And I have seen waves come through that were so paddleable and got so crazy and so next level, stayed open, blew their guts out, and nobody has truly like found that well, you diamond have to, yet.
1: Right. Well if you're someone like Healy who maybe wants that you need to sit
2: inside and kind of on the shoulder. Oh, there's so many reasons it's hard. So everyone's coming against you. Everyone's so coming like against you. So the salmon exactly. upstream. When that one comes, people are going against you and a lot of them don't do it. Even the ones that look perfect aren't necessarily the good ones. Like it's, I've, I've been trying to figure out and I've had some long conversations with Damien Hobgood and some other people about like, kind of which are the ones and not the ones. And we've looked through endless photos of, like, why did that one get good, but this one didn't? Right. And there really hasn't been a recipe that we've, like, figured out yet where, like, yeah, that one stayed open all the way to the end because this, it's, like, it's It's super strange.
1: Uh, Look, I have um, been surfing Mavericks with Tyler Fox pretty much every single time I surf it for the last five years now. And he has wanted a left for so long, and Tyler's a really good surfer. Amazing, he, amazing. Surfer. He's one of the people like yourself that is you're skilled in big waves and you're knifing it down the face. I'm not talking about you, Seth. Sorry.
2: It's okay. You're not,
1: <laughs> Seth. You're not knifing Seth, it down. No, I'm not. I didn't knife anything. He's an extremely good longboarder. He is. Yeah. And street skater. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to go with extremely good street no, skater, I'm not but. Good. I yeah. can do it. I Seth can rides the nose. I can win. Um, yeah, so that's what I think. I, I, and I would love to see a goofy footer like yourself go on a left and backdoor it. But you got to scream real loud because there's going to be a bunch of guys from outside that are going to want it on yeah. the right. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's almost what? like they are too far outside. and they that's, What's going to happen is, is they're going to be outside and they're going to be just a, behind the cap and it's going to give you that chance because they're going to miss it and you're going to be underneath and you're going to be able to get that. Yep. That's when it's going to happen because otherwise it is. You just get railroaded every time yeah. by people going right.
1: This would never happen, but I would love to see on a day like we have coming up where it's big and going to be offshore, everyone to give a few ski drivers the first hour of the morning yeah, so that they could tow guys in and you would see... 15 of those barrels happen in an hour oh. and seth would be in dreamland, dreamland shooting off of his ski on the
2: inside left but honestly i, I it's hard to get excited about tow barrels like right as great as it is like and I, i've been at chopes when it's 50 feet and shooting huge tubes and the, the 12 foot stuff where guys are paddling excites me 10 times more to shoot 10 times more to look at like I love it and I'm worried for those guys and the towing is cool but the there's just nothing like watching the boys like hang under the ledge and like put themselves and go for it and like yelling and putting yourself in the spot and swimming in with them and being like yeah. (laughs) No it's
0: it's funny because we were I'm 28 I live close to Nazareth I was at Stretch Factory just now. We were preparing a tow board, and I've never, ever prepared a tow board, you know? I was telling him he made me a tow board five years ago. I paid a grand and a half for that surfboard, and I've never used it. It's like, it's just like, I don't get the buzz when I tow into a wave. I've towed a couple times. I tow. I have nothing against it. I think, you know, towing is great in the right moments, but you just don't get the same buzz, you know? Like, towing into a wave, it's like, yeah you know you come out you're like yep yeah but when you're actually paddling for a wave you're like you're not sure if you're gonna make it or, you take that steep drop like I, I feel like that's that's what it is all about like that steep drop. it's kind of like someone's us.
1: holding your hand as you go through one of the most intense experiences of your life yeah like you want to do that alone we have these various experiences in in life whether it's Walking up to a girl that you're nervous to talk to, or going on a you know a psychedelic trip or something like that, or or paddling into the wave of your life, these are very lonely experiences. And to do it yourself, I think allows the experience to be more fortified, rather than if you're if you're towing in, the ski driver is making part of that decision
2: for you. Well, I also just think the drop is by far the scariest part of surfing. Right. Once you're up and riding, you're so in the tune with surfing, but it's that commitment level of putting yourself in that place. And I think it's it's the most challenging part of riding a wave right. is that criticalness of a big wave, takeoff, big board, don't poke, yeah. knife it, draw the right line. There's just so much intricacies involved.
1: Yeah. Nick, did you go to uh, No Can Dewey this last year? Yeah.
0: I went there I've been I've been going there for two years guys from Candui Resort hooked me up so whenever there's a swell I kind of it was there was a really funny moment uh, four years ago on that century swell in Candui. I was doing the QS in Bolito, the primes and I was fully committed to qualifying and you know I was stuck in Bolito with one foot entre waves and this century swell at Candui was going down everyone was getting 12 foot stand up barrels um some of the best waves we've ever seen and that really came to that point where I was like what the fuck am i doing right. here like like three to the beach that's not my thing i want to get barreled that's what i'm good at that's that's what like i've been able to make a career off so it was really that point where like fuck this shit i'm out of here see you later and that was it that was my last year on the qs and next year i went to kendu he got some sick waves like some of best sessions of my life and this year I went back and got absolutely flogged
1: (laughs) oh yeah and you've been uh having a good last it seems like you've been having a good last couple years in your surf career because you're focusing on your strengths focusing on my strengths and mostly of all focusing
0: on what I love to do and you know like I felt like for many years when I was doing the QS, I was worried about, you know, I was young and it's it's really easy to follow the herd. It's really hard to, you know, kind of carve your own way. And and like you got your spot in society, you know, like it's it's really hard to turn a different, you know, turn into a different road. And it was really hard for me to take that decision to leave Contest Surfing behind and, and focus on what I really like. Why was yeah. it hard? It's just hard because I'm dependent of sponsorships, you know, like it's, it's, you know, if I'm not, if I don't take the right decisions, I can get dropped from one year to the other. Unfortunately, I'm dependent on what other people think, <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. and, and it really, it really sucks. Um, you know, but it's, it's cool, man. It, you know, if you, if you really do what you love, yeah, feel like, whatever, well,
1: you, you need to make your case bulletproof to your sponsors, which yeah. is what you're trying to do. You, you're. Highly motivated going on all these different trips. So, and at the end of the year, you're not coming to the case with, Hey, bro, I'm cool. Like, sign (laughs) me up for another year, please, because we're bros. Yeah. yeah. You're coming to me like, Fuck you, bitch. Check this out on Surfline, Surfer Magazine, (laughs) and all this growth. Like, you you need to make that case. GQ. GQ, you were in GQ? No. Well, fuck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's not bring that up. Um, yeah, well, it's true, um, but you know, like fuck, it came to a point where I was like, dude, I don't, I don't give a fuck, you know, like whatever. I just want to do what I like, and if it works out, it does. If not, there's plenty of other opportunities out there if you're motivated. So, I'm psyched. I'm psyched on surfing. I'm psyched on life. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, you know. And,
1: was that, a, that yeah? Was that a conscious conversation that you had with your sponsors where you said, "I don't want to do contests anymore. I want to chase some was, of the best waves around the world." Or did it you was, start? It was doing the
0: other uh, other way around. So when I signed for Hurley, when we had the big Nike Hurley switch in 2012, um, it was a really tough time for me in terms of <laughs> contract negotiations. Have you been I was riding really, for Hurley for. A I was. Long time? I was. Yeah. I was. I was riding for Nike. Okay. So, and it was like a tough time to kind of, you know, like I wasn't doing that great on the QS. I was top 100 on the primes. I was like, you know, doing some cool stuff on free surfing, getting barreled and stuff like that. Um, but like Nike couldn't really place me in in, you know, what I was. Uh, fair enough, you know? <laughs> Companies love to
1: place people. Exactly.
0: People yeah. in general.
1: He's our carefree, exactly. good-looking person who we can also use for the catalog. Okay, she's sexy girl. She'll pose in a thong. She can also <laughs> do a cutback. Okay, there's our adventurer. He's going to go to the cold places. Box people, right? Right, yeah. It's yeah, I mean, yeah. Those are conversations that happen. But it was really funny. So, I, like... I want you to like me for me.
0: Exactly. <laughs> no, that that year I went to Ireland um, for this amazing swell that really like launched my career in terms of terms of free surfing and, and slab hunter and stuff like that. I got like I did a clip that went completely viral. This was like the start of the internet, so it completely blew up all over the internet. And I remember going into the Hurley office right after. So that was like my tr- transit like contract year, or whatever. And I remember the first conversation I had with Pat. It was like, dude. We want you to do this. We want you to go to Ireland. We want you to go to some of the best waves in the world and, you know, make rad edits. And for me, it's more important you doing this than going to Brazil and winning an event, you know? So the message was very clear from the start. <clears throat> and um, I just didn't want to hear it, you know? Like, I kind of wanted to, you know, like, I don't know. I wanted, I wanted to qualify. And, and, you know, like that event in Belito kind of, you know, like fuck this shit. I'm over it. I'm getting barreled.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Order a whole new quiver. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How do you deal with wanting to explore amazing waves around the world? Many of which are sensitive, uh, to exposure while still getting exposure. Like what is that conversation like?
0: It's just, it's a really touchy subject. Um, for all of us we all have our secret spots we all need to work we all want to share with friends family um, and things get weird sometimes you know like you gotta lie to people you love um, it's you know it's 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 a hard you know you gotta snap at people you know like I'm super welcoming and then I gotta tell friends of mine like to not do
1: shit you know it's I don't you know it's it, it sucks it's crazy the when you think about how many people you can talk to in 10 seconds on instagram like it's it's we've never been through a point in time like this where one person can thoughtlessly post a photo of a sensitive spot and then it's ruined It can change lives in general. It can change lives, yeah. in On one swell. One swell, it it can Change the community, you know?
0: Yep. There's, you know, from one second to the other, people see it. You know, surf tourism is is a huge business these days. Surf camps are making millions and millions of dollars. You know, if you, you know, if you blow a spot out, there'd be millions of investment the, the second after, you understand? So... I know, you know, we surfed the wave together last year, and you know, we've seen what you know how fast things can go, and how touchy that subject is. But I'm all for keeping spots secret. You know, like that's that's the only thing in our uh, fast-growing society that you know, like it's you know, there's certain places
1: that you know should remain the same as long as you keep something for yourself it's it's a bit like people who share their entire relationship online
2: oh my god those are the worst people
1: and (laughs) and people who make a spectacle out of their personal lives i feel similarly to people who post instagram videos of new spots in real time but it's you know what I'm starting to. So I grew up in a in a generation
0: where we had the values of of what a secret what it what it takes to keep a secret spot spot secret. So we knew exactly what to do to kind of keep it to ourselves, to keep it between the local community. We still have amazing spots that we surf by ourselves, and it's been like that for ten years. There's a lot of people up there, like. Let's say Brazilians, for instance, that grew up with millions of people on their beaches and they have no clue what it is like to have a secret spot and preserve it. So it's like they don't do it in a bad way. They just didn't have the education to understand. Just ignorance.
1: Yeah. You know, if you grow up and um, like my mom talks about this all the time, she said when she grew up, you could drink water out of streams and now you can't do that. And she saw that shift growing up here I would never drink water out of a stream in the city but because I didn't experience that shift I don't know what she lost yeah
2: well I mean even the other just two mornings ago we were we surfed Rincon first thing in the morning and and well yeah Rincon's a crowded spot it still has some set of order and you know like there's do's and don'ts like any surf spot and there's two vans of 12 12 teenagers who piled out at 6am there was five guys in the lineup and 12 kids from San Clemente had driven up and they all came out at one time. And it went from five people in actually really fun waves to so crowded you couldn't even get around them. Yeah. There were so many of them and they were like, oh, it's, we, we get this. We started heckling them. They're like, yeah, we get this all the time. We're from Trestles. And we're just like, dude, you know, it's like, yeah. come on. It's just.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, t- to your point, Nick, we got to surf a real special wave last year um, with not many people around. And my thinking around a situation like that is that if you are from that place, if you're a local, and you want to talk about the wave that you have because it'll boost tourism, then that's not my place because I'm the traveler coming into your community. And there are some places that are very poor and they have $100 million waves out front. And if it's the community decision and they They make that, you know. They all rally up and say, "All right, this is this is what we want to do. This is the direction of it." That's your decision. The thing that pisses me off is how what traveling surfers will do to expose a a spot for such little value. Like what I mean to that is like, okay, you're going to post a photo so that you can get what hundred new followers. That nobody
2: even remembers two that, days from the yeah, it's
1: y- you're gonna you're gonna expose a spot so that you can get more likes. Well, I can't even handle the whole even everyday posting it's e- because it's an ego it's, trip. Right. Well, well and what like let's sit, put it but, this way, Someone, someone's like, Hey Nick, spot. you're gonna go to a new spot and we're gonna give you fifty thousand dollars if you post this photo. You'd be like, Oh god, that sounds really nice. It's more of a moral dilemma. But to post a photo thoughtlessly for your own ego and for imaginary people like people who will never you'll never meet no people who don't love you to to give it to them you know that's the that's what's the, the so social strange to media
2: me. breeds the weirdest culture i mean i struggle with it big time because i grew up pre-social media and it to me is so foreign i'm not a technology person and i yeah. just when i as i grew up propping yourself was like the most frowned upon thing in the whole world like you know like and this is like one giant program above one giant check me out and it's like it makes me cringe every single time I hit post because it's like this giant check me out and like that was the thing that would get you cut when I was a kid they'd be like no dude you're out of here you're like we don't want to hang out with you if you propped yourself if you like did a trick on a skateboard and like looked around to see yeah. like who saw it. Like, did you I see ripped. that? Everyone see that? Dude, <laughs> you'd be like, would be like, dude, you're out. You're cut. Go. Right. Out
1: here. Yeah. it's a really good point. It's a cultural yeah. shift. And Nick, your career is dependent on doing it. It is. It's, it's
0: crazy. I'm, I like, I'm, you know you got to be able to play the game even though it's not a part of your personality you know you you just got to be able to you got to be able to do it but you also got to be able to know when not to do it and you know for me like there's just certain times that you know i struggle with it in my house too there's certain spots that you know we don't want to put out on the second or whatever you know we put it out but we take a while you know we wait till summer comes around and stuff like that and then all of a sudden there's dudes showing up doing live videos and I have to call them up like dude don't do that you understand so I feel it on my own skin and I respect when I go to a certain spot I respect those certain spots I respect the locals what are their rules and for me the very basic rules is you know not posting about it um,
1: while it's happening
0: at least on the second or
2: and not and not my rule is one year moratorium
1: You have a one-year moratorium. That's a long moratorium. Everything I put
2: on Instagram is usually at least a year old. Smart. (laughs) Yeah,
1: there are uh, classy ways to do it, and one of them is waiting a while
2: to post stuff. Well, I think that, too, when you post something from a swell, even if it's your own local home wave, even if it's well-known, you're giving thousands of people, again, like you said, that you don't care about this invaluable information about your home spot, because with the internet now, you can go back and you can say, it looked like this on this day. Well, the swell was this direction. The wind was that direction. looks like it was about this time of the day. And you can basically figure out every single spot around the world. And with how much people now like to post their, I'm surfing here right now, I can pretty much do an entire world surf check in about five minutes on Instagram. Yeah. True.
1: Yeah, well, it also puts the pink elephant in the room. I say, don't think of a pink elephant. What are you thinking of? If I say, yeah. "Hey, Rincon, you just you, even if it was only a moment f- through your feed, all of a sudden it puts the wave in your mind."
2: Yeah. So this is yeah. a true story. This is two months ago. We were in Tahiti for that for that last really nice big run in Tahiti, and um we were hanging out with some friends, and we were laughing about this exact thing. And he was like, "Yeah, dude, I didn't think about it. I went to post this this video." And my buddy was like, no, no, don't post this. Don't post this because people are going to want to come. And then our buddy was like, no, no, it's cool. So, but he just then sent it just to one friend and his friend saw the video was like, holy shit, it's been pumping and booked a ticket right then it was coming. He showed it to one person and it was a hundred percent strike rate of how many people came that yeah. he showed the video. And we were like, he was like, he was like, as soon as that happened, I was like, fuck, Ryan was right. And he didn't post the video.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah it's you know I like uh, I like media. Do you guys know what's the word perfunctory You guys know what the word perfunctory means it means done with minimal thought or effort. I think there's a lot of perfunctory in surfing so much And I love it when people take their time to come out with an amazing edit that you can tell they they Put their heart and soul into. If a new John John edit is coming out, I sit down, I light a candle, (laughs) (laughs) I have some incense going.
0: Let me let me put it this way. Okay, John John is able to do that. You understand because he's John John. You understand he's able to not have a social media account, pretty much. Even though he has millions of followers, he probably posts once a month. He's able to do that kind of shit. Okay, I came from Portugal. A country that was not known to the ins- entire surfing
1: world. You understand? I had to kind of, you know. You got like, to butt your way in. If John John, yeah, well, if John John doesn't come out with anything for a year, no one's going to forget about John John. And they're going to see him every day everywhere. Everywhere. everywhere you you know, understand?
2: But when we were kids, this is, this is cultural shift now. When I was a kid, and I'm a diehard skateboarder at heart, I will always be a skateboarder first, we used to sit and wait two years for the next Jamie Thomas zero edit. And we knew he was filming. The mags would let us know that he was filming and it would build up this like unbelievable, like anticipation and you would be at the shop. You knew the videos out. It would say in the ad and the mag video out now. And you'd be there every day. Did it come? Did it come? Did it come? Yeah. And you would get this incredible feeling. So you would make your favorites because you were so under, you were so starved for anything that when it came out so it was beautiful cuz these guys could work on these pieces for like years, yeah. 2 years and they would put out this art piece that was so magnificently yeah. done because it was nothing but bangers cuz they had the time to do it.
1: The world has I, no I, foreplay I,
2: anymore, I, I, but I you I
1: have said, I, you have a that's a really no, interesting
2: point, yeah, that you made.
0: Basically, you know, like I got cut by a sponsor last year cuz he said I wasn't doing anything for the last 2 years. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been getting the craziest waves, you know? Like, I've been working on a movie for two years. Got some of the craziest stuff I've ever done, better than ever. And then I thought, like, oh, shit, he hasn't seen it. Like, he hasn't seen anything. Because I've been holding back on clips for two years, you understand? I was like, shit, like, you know, like in this day and age, I can't do this anymore. It's changed. You right. can't so, do that
2: anymore. You can't. You know what I mean? Like career. this year,
0: this year, like I've started putting out edits. Keep going. Keep going. I'm going to, I got to close
1: this. Keep going. Go for
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just wait for you. Yeah. Yeah. So go for it. So for example, like, you know, like I got cut, you know, like I'm dependent on my sponsors. If not I can't keep on doing what I do. Right. So I was like, shit, like this dude hasn't seen my like what I've been doing, you know, like there's some really good stuff in here that people are gonna froth on and it's gonna be good for this brand, but they just cut me, you know. So basically this year I changed strategy. I started just posting more, letting clips out when I get a sick stuff. I just you know, you gotta adapt. Right. Um, and for example, I you know, I I grew my followership, you know, like three hundred percent from one year to the other yeah so it's it's like man you got to be able to play the game you got to be you got to straight stay true
1: to yourself but you got to be able to adapt as well yeah and um it's such a short-term gain philosophy that a lot of surf companies have and i think that they really suffer from it putting that kind of pressure on athletes to come out with content consistently rather than get behind them truly for a couple years and then put out something that changes the sport if i were your sponsor that was very well said this is what i would do if i were your sponsor i'd say all right nick we are going to pay for you to do a movie for a year and we're going to hire a pr agency so that once this thing comes out it's going to be a global fucking tour And we're going to hit up newspapers in every town that we go to. We're going to put the effort into really getting not just behind you with the movie, but behind you with the release of the movie. Because right now you have to basically be your own PR agent. And that's stupid. The company should be paying you to do what you do best, which is surf and come out with something that's truly inspirational, something that kids watch and say, that movie changed my life. We all have the surf movie that we watched a million times growing up. And th- I think that more companies should play that long-term strategy. For sure. I mean, you think like, you guys, and this is another example of like a total, is a person in a whole nother universe, but Alex Honnold, you guys see his... Movie, uh, free Solo. Free Solo. I haven't
2: seen it, but I want no. to see it really badly.
1: It'll change your life. Who is uh, that guy? So Alex Honnold the is... The guy on the planet. Yeah, he's the gnarliest guy on the planet. 100%. He's a, a climber who free solos, um, which means he climbs without ropes. Wow. Um, not always, but he, this last year, did a, uh, a route in Yosemite called El Capitan. And El Capitan
2: is... The Nazare of climbing. It would basically be like going on a hundred footer at Nazare with no inflation, on a four-two kid surfboard with nothing and no safety and no nothing, and you know that there's at least three hundred waves behind it that you're going to take on the head. That's
1: not even. That's not even close. Wow, I'm surprised you don't know who this dude Alex Honnold is. No. It's gonna blow your mind. Okay, you need to. One you're dead. uh, It's all right. His buddy in the film, Tommy Codwell, who's uh, one of the best climbers in the world, does this interview and he says, "This is what it's like. It's like having to get a gold medal Olympic uh, medal, and if you and if you don't get gold medal in the Olympics, you die." Yeah. He said that's what Alex (laughs) is doing. So what he does. So. He goes up El Capitan. He he trains for it for years. He he does these different pitches with ropes. So he knows every single inch of this cliff. And he keeps a diary. So, you know, pitch, you know, 11, left foot, hook, under, right, pull up with right arm. He knows every single movement he's going to do. And he's meticulous and obsessive. And he pulls it off. It it was the greatest athletic feat any human has ever done. By 10 times. Yeah. And he's super humble. Really cool dude. What's his Instagram? (laughs) Alex Honnold. Check him out. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, how did we get on climbing though? We were, uh, what were we talking about? I don't remember. Anyway. Gnarly guys. Yeah. Gnarly guys. But oh no. So the the reason I was making that point was because that movie free solo is going to change people's lives.
2: Yeah, I want to see it really and
1: badly. And Jimmy Chin. Do you know who you guys know who Jimmy yeah, Chin is?
2: amazing photographer. Yeah.
1: Dude, is it this guy?
0: Yeah, yeah. dude, that's yeah, him. That's the guy. That's the guy. It's like <laughs> he's like a fucking duck. Yeah, he's a <laughs> he dude. He's There he is. He he like yeah, a but puppy. see him without
2: a shirt on and he's like the most shredded human I've oh, yeah. ever that's, seen in 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 <laughs> Alex with Bill Nye, dude, the science he looks guy. like
1: a fucking puppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Does big ears, big yeah. nose. guy. Yeah, he's, oh, he's a super on, goofy dude. But that's the funniest guy on the planet.
1: Yeah, he's a super goofy dude. Hey, what's up? I'm Alex. And um, oh my god, dude, he's so funny. He's so honest, brutally honest. Yeah, he's a really incredible human. He he makes a bunch of money climbing, and he How? donates sponsorship. Sponsorship. Yeah, I mean, he's he's bigger than the Laird Hamilton of surfing. Really. Yeah, I mean, his ethos and everything. Anyway, um, and he donates a bunch of money to uh, solar projects in Africa, which is amazing. He puts solar panels on uh, people's houses in Africa. And in the documentary, like the I don't know, just the sober honesty that this dude has is really impressive. He has a girlfriend, and there's a scene in the movie where the girlfriend says... Um, so do you do do you take me into account when you're doing these uh dangerous climbs and would it affect you and He was just like uh no no not at all It definitely not i am gonna do this and pull it off nick get off instagram
0: wow do you see do you guys see this bomb of look at that sorry where is that? Mac, yesterday, Matt Becker. Oh really? That, that was the bomb
1: I was telling you about. Oh wow. That's a good wave. Um sorry. Anyway, all of that rambling. You can cut the right. No, no, it's fine. We're good. <laughs> we're good. I'm just kind of stoned. I talk a little too much when I'm stoned. <laughs> <laughs> um all of that is to say, yes. If I were your sponsor, I would um I would invest in not making you come out with content every day. Amen. And I would make something beautiful. No, for sure. But
0: that's what Okay, so that's what we're doing right now. We so basically I got cut last year. <laughs> and um Yeah, this year we're doing, you know, movie premieres are all over Europe. It's been amazing. People are stoked. Brands are stoked and everything's good but in the meantime i got cut by the other company so you know it's just you know you got to you got to you got to be able to adapt these yep. projects are amazing it's going to stoke people out to see like this really beautiful piece but you got to be able to do the in between work you know well
2: the problem is though is like we're so oversaturated with content it's that when really great pieces come along you just don't appreciate them as much because you're already 100%. so oversaturated 100%. on content. Hundred percent, I couldn't. It's almost like why do you put a year and a half into a project that is monumental, but isn't going to be treated like what it's deserved to be treated as? Because you're so overwhelmed, like the amount of of image content your brain receives in a day between social media ads on this and how fast
0: that. it's forgotten as well
2: it's so quickly but forgotten. at the
0: same time you're so overloaded with content with good content you know amazing that you, content that you just don't pay attention and going back to that first video when pat came up to me pat o'connell came up to me and told me i should do that you know that video i did in ireland there was just not no content around, and that's why people appreciated it so much. These days, there's just so much content around. Is that the one where you were
1: uh, surfing Um uh, Pampa, yeah. big Like, some big drops. And I stuff. remember
0: that video. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, a lot of people remember that, and because there just wasn't any competition, like, there wasn't many people. Obviously, like, the performance was pretty good, but, like, there wasn't any, like, there wasn't 10 of those edits, you understand? Yeah and there's just so much trash out there these days that people are just over it.
1: Yeah, I am too. Yeah, well, there's no organization, that's what I'm saying the PR agency would be for. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't just put it out on a random Tuesday and f- cross your fingers that it's a day that people want to watch a movie. Structure it and do a real release. So you think about what you know, what people in other sports have, like basketball players. And if, let's say a basketball player makes a big decision and they want to get that into the news it's not just a oh alright cool we'll hope it gets there they have teams of people for that sure. are strategizing where they need to get that media so that people will not only see it but see it in a way that they want to see it it's big business
0: yeah for sure for sure big business um, yeah well but I'm sure those teams also adapt to the circumstances of, of, of media at that time instead yeah yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's you know what? It's it's been super fun and that's the most important. It's been awesome. People are stoked. I've been doing some really cool premieres in Europe. We we actually did one at Hurley last week for the for all the crew, internal crew. That was really cool. Um we did a really cool one in paniche Portugal uh, during the CT right after the final. That was completely packed. We had Bunch of the Hurley crew, they were super stoked. Um, we went to Bali. We, at the moment, actually, yesterday we premiered in Paris, the day before in Buritz. So it's going around. It's, What's the movie called? It's called Railroad. Railroad. Yeah. So basically, we. Dude, that's great. Yeah. So basically. Um, I feel
1: like I've been, I'm kind of like preaching to the choir a little bit. I'm like, you should do this. And you're like, Kyle, you're, you're high. I'm trying to tell you that I am doing this. No, it's cool. Pay it's cool. attention, it's cool. dude. No, it's
0: cool. It's cool. It's
1: cool. <laughs> I'm no, like, it's, this is what I do, man. I no, do, no, no. I shoot a movie for a year. Yeah, <laughs> be you getting barreled. Then I do a tour, you see. Exactly. You're um, uh, you're you're fighting your way. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. And so That's it's cool. it's from Ireland.
0: So, it's from so no basically Kanduies. the story behind this is um, people used to. Everyone's so sucked in these days of getting everywhere so fast, and there's so much opportunity to getting from A to Z in Europe. Let's say Portugal to Norway, Ireland in a matter of two hours. And our culture, the you know the my parents, my grandfathers, after finishing school, everyone went on an interrail for a couple of months. So basically taking the train for from one part of Europe, all over Europe, like through, let's say, Germany, Austria, Norway, and they would do that like religiously. Everyone would do that. And that culture has been completely lost. No one takes trains anymore to go to anywhere in Europe because it's so much cheaper to take a plane from here to there, and everyone's just stressing out getting there. And basically, we decided to take a to go on a train journey across Europe um, to to a lot of the places, and that's where also my career started um, in the Lisbon uh, train station. You know, taking those rides from from Portugal to France to go to the first events. So I have really good memories um, sitting on the print on a, on a train for 12 hours, meeting these amazing people, um, that sense of freedom of being on a train by yourself for the first time. Um, you know, like there's little chicks running around and you like, you know, away from your parents and you're
1: like, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Am I going to get laid tonight? Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. Having like a
1: beer well, a on huge, the, on the, on the um, restaurant. It's a huge part of a young s- traveling surfers experience. Coming of age. Coming of age. It's exactly. girls and it's, it's girls, the boys
2: partying and, and
1: going into a new trouble. place and, seeing how fucking small your hometown is yeah, yeah exactly that when that 100 w- when that tr- train that metaphorical train hits you in the face and you realize how small your town is yeah that's another one of those experiences like climbing down a ladder at nazare and watching a hundred foot wave does roll that by. count when
2: you grow up outside new york city because it's a pretty big town <laughs> yeah, it's a big town.
1: But even still, there's different cultures, man. Going in like culture shock,
2: and um, that's a profound sp-
0: experience, especially, especially in you know that Interrail experience was so big back in the day because exactly you know no one had phones no one had internets and just experienced that cultural shock so close by going to spain and and different you know different language different food different types of people going to germany and a next level of different types of people so that was really like it marked if you speak people that live the interrail um, phase you know it really marked them you can see in the eyes you know it's just pure joy um so we did that we went all over Europe by train. Um we were chasing swells as well. So you know for us it was not not about doing the whole trip by train. Um you know like we had certain times to do it. So we were we were catching a couple flights but we were doing as much as we could by train. Like let's say we went Scotland to to Ireland, we took the train. Norway we took the train and um it was just amazing man. It was it was really cool just to sit back Relax for a couple hours, look at the sceneries, and just meet people. It was sick, and the movie turned out real cool. There's some bombs in it.
1: People are stoked, and that's what it's all about. I want to see it. Did your family support you growing up uh, to be a pro surfer? <clears throat> it's funny. So, parents be-
0: have always been super supportive. Yeah, water right there if you want. Yeah, I'll just have a little zip. Um. My parents have always been super supportive for me to do anything that's healthy. <laughs> I don't come from a from a surfing background family. Um, my parents are all and family are all academics. They went to school. They finished their degrees. Work hard. Get up at six am. Get back at ten. So that's the environment I grew up in. Not really a sporty environment, but you know, like if. If I did my obligations and, you know, if, you know, they saw how passionate I, I was about surfing, um, they were super supportive and, you know, if I couldn't miss school, obviously, you know, I had to go all the way to the end and. Do you do public school? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I went to German school and, and finished everything
1: until I was 18. So you speak English, German, and Portuguese? French and Spanish. French is just fucking guy. No, it's, this it's guy. Seven <laughs> languages.
0: So, but that's that's normal for like all everyone in my school spoke five languages. You know, like it's it's just normal in Europe. It is normal in Europe. Everybody speaks every language. People people speak at least two three languages because you know you're four hours away from Spain. You're twelve hours away or eight hours away from France. It's right there. You know, like commerce, like especially in Portugal, because it's such a small country. People, you know, if it comes down to business, you're not relying on the business of your country, you're relying on the business of France, Germany and stuff. So you got to be able to engage with those people. But going back to my family, they've been super supportive. Um, You know, I just had to finish my my school degree, my high school degree and, and, you know, um, you know. Parents really wanted me to go to school because that—that's the norm. Um, there was no such thing as professional surfing when I finished school, which was ten years ago. In Portugal, there was no such wow. Thing. So it was everything was really recent. You understand? Like I remember talking to my kid, to my friends, and at that time, I like I got some good results. I got fifth on the World Juniors with like Owen and and Adriano de Souza, Gabriel Medina, all those guys. So I kind of beat those guys, and I had all the proofs that I could make it, and I. Like all right sponsorships, I was doing fine, and and still like my family was like, you know, you know, you sure you want to pursue this professional surfing thing? Like, mom, I'm making it. Yeah, Yeah. like I'm, you know, you have, you know, my parents didn't have to support me since I'm 16. So I was like, you know, like I had proofs that I I was I was kind of you know doing all right and or squeaking by. And still, no one was like, oh, what's, what's professional surfing? Is it, like, teaching people how to surf? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Like, you know, all my, you know, school, high school friends or you know, they, yeah, they,
1: you know, they, they just didn't know. Was it, so were there a lot of surfers in your high school growing up? Was it the surf crew? Yeah, people surfed. People surfed. I went, I went to Lisbon. I,
0: went, I studied in, in the city. So people surfed. But it, this was, like, the seed Of surfing in Portugal. And let's say, you know, if that was a sea 10 years ago, and it's crazy what surfing has grown in Portugal in the last 10 years. No one in the entire world, nowhere, 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 has had the evolution of surfing in such a short period of time.
2: It's second peak 2.0 it's like it's packed like there's like surf crowds of all walk of life walking really so now it's you, crowded everywhere so like let's wow. say
0: people like for example Garrett is a hero uh, Federico is a f- hero you know people recognize surfers if you go on the road like people want photos guys want autographs it's like you know like
1: yeah no it's you amazing get, you get credit you get right. credit and um, It's so crazy it's so, how much more uh, f- f- people outside of America respect surfers. It's, I was gonna
2: say that. I was gonna say it's like a way better thing over there. <laughs> Wait, than oh my god! Like, I can imagine. You show up with stickers on your board. Now I'm like, with some of the waves down where I live, you're like <laughs> pushed to the inside. Yeah. You're like, dude, black wetsuits, whiteboards only. Yeah,
1: right. It's, it's not cool to be a pro
2: surfer yeah, in most
0: off. places in America. Let me give you a very simple example. Yeah. So, I had this teacher in primary school. I haven't seen this lady in twenty four years. She sent me a message on Instagram, like saying I had I did this ad for a car company at home and it was like on T V and stuff like that. She was hitting me up on Instagram just like this older lady, she doesn't work anymore. Like, I'm so proud of what you become, you know, like this you know, I haven't seen her for twenty four years. She didn't hear my name in twenty four years and you know, it's just it's pretty amazing to see like it's an emotional roller coaster, as I said, where surfing was and where it is these days, and I think everyone that was a part of this change is very proud. You know, like it's been it's been amazing. That's to really see, cool. Like uh, Thiago, um, Federico, Vasco, like we've
2: all kind of chipped in to to
0: yeah to make surfing credible. Like, Dude, it's, it's
2: crazy when yeah. you drive around where he lives. There's like signs on the road that have the names of the surf spots and the difficulty like snowboarding. This is the Cave Double Black Diamond. Wow, to
1: see that progression in a decade. So, it is said is one of
0: two world surfing reserves and you know, the municipality is stoked for it. Oh, and- it's
2: incredible, but I mean it in a good way. They like it, I'm saying in the sense that like the government is so behind them. Like they have like training centers where these guys can all go swim do breath training, do training that is like provided for them. Like they're like tr- supporting their athletes to the point that they like truly want to see them succeed. Succeed. Let's and put it's it this really way. cool the, to the see.
0: government sees surfing as a business. Tourism, surf tourism. It's crazy what it has done to the country to Panish, yeah. Ilheta, Nazaré. It's crazy. People people make money with wow. surfing. The government realizes that.
1: I wonder if it's still the residue. I mean, so California is, I I don't know this as a fact, but I would imagine the biggest surf industry in the world, like as far as money, you know, changing hands, maybe, yeah, maybe Gold Coast, Australia, but let me let me just stop you right there sure. we we made a we made a, a, a
0: video we had, i i have a, a series called my road series and one of the topics of one of the episodes we did in 2014 was to compare like it was called um one city so basically we're comparing two cities two surfing hubs um, california which is for us europeans we see california as the main surfing hub in the world and at that time we were like what if Portugal, Lisbon gets to that surfing hub like like California, you know, which it kind of, you know, it's growing to be, but it's, you know, going back to the point. We Europeans, we see California as like the main surfing hub
1: in the world, you know. But um, but how to do it in a way where the surfers are respected because I, my to finish that point, although there's a lot of money changing hands in California, being a pro surfer in California is not... Uh, seen by most of the people as respectable.
2: Well, I think that's for a few reasons. One, you got to realize surfing started here long before pro surfing was a thing. And back then, roots and loyalty to the culture was what mattered more than anything. So then as you bring pro surfing and money into it, it kind of goes against everything that the early surfers kind of cultural identity was. So now you have this struggle of these people who see as a way to make money and make surfing their life so they can surf all the time against these guys who have scammed and cheated and steal and weaseled their way through life so that they could surf all the time. Right. And so it's almost like I think that they're almost the most jealous because they're jealous of these people that pulled off the better scam, which is to actually get people to just pay you to go surfing. What and side
0: are you on Seth?
2: I'm, I'm on top <laughs> of the fence. I, I go both well, ways on this well, one no, because I, I, I do a lot of my, my inner core culture that identifies with those early guys that are like counterculture. I'm against a lot of the, the mainstream influx of the things that I love the most because Again, it's the thing that's led to Costco being the number one manufacturer of surfboards in the world is this, this cultural acceptance of surfing and skateboarding is cool when it was, you know, I grew up skating in the early nineties when skateboarding was like at its lowest shittiest point and everybody hated us. We were like, my best friend's mom didn't even want him to come around me when I started skateboarding because she thought I was like the worst thing in the world. When she didn't realize I was just an athlete who wanted to learn kickflips and backside tail slides And like, it's hard. It is the most challenging fucking thing in the world. It'll frustrate you like nothing that's ever frustrated me. Yeah. But it was this cultural identity that I also fell in love with of being core. And so I think, you know, part of me identifies with that. But part of me, I'm a photographer, so I've made money (laughs) off what I love. But I also think I've done it in a way that I stay true to myself, where I try to work with people who instill those same values. I don't name spots. Like if you look at my social media, there's not one spot name on any single photo anywhere through my feed. I just credit the surfers and show the photos because I love them. But I'm not trying to whore out... The places that I love. It is interesting looking at the two worlds and the conflict
1: between those two worlds of an anti-establishment sport um, and the industry and money. And you see it happening on the North Shore of Oahu, where a generation prior, a lot of those guys were carpenters or drug dealers or you know they whatever it was that they did it wasn't they weren't making money from the surf industry so they also like the guys at pipeline had no obligation to be nice to traveling surfers coming to their spot whereas now you have so much money right in that 7 mile miracle you see it again the two worlds clashing if you're a kid sponsored by Volcom you're going to get more waves at pipeline because there's in yeah. some ways, an obligation to be nice to the right people. And that's a result of these two two worlds, yeah. right? It's, it's the result of money coming yeah. into it.
2: Well, it's, you know, the difference between Mickey Dora being your hero and Kelly Slater being your hero. You know, you yeah. have these countercultural icons and then you have these industry icons. Because in the end, as much as we hate to admit it, surfing is a fashion industry. It is 100% based on selling clothes and hard goods. But for the most part, it's a fashion industry. If you're not selling clothes, you're not a commodity to a company. So in the end, you know, like are you either in that counterculture, I'm just here to surf F you or hey, look, I'm a professional surfer. I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. And I'm okay. Look, I've gotten to see the world, so F you. Right. <laughs> you know. So it's like, it goes both ways. And it's, it's this oh, moral struggle uh, right. of like, ah, it's like, so you're an environmentalist, right? I love the environment. I would consider myself an environmentalist. We still take airplanes around the world, but that's awful for our carbon footprint. You know, like I'm going I love the environment. I support the environment. I support environmental causes but I fucking fly around the world for a living. You know, my carbon footprint is that of an asshole. Yeah. It's finding that balance. It is finding finding that balance. balance. I love having this kind of conversation. And the point that you brought up
1: about, um, the environment, because let's zoom it way back. (laughs) What we're really doing here, what we're dedicating our lives to is playing in the ocean. And we spend more time on this thin sliver between society and the wild than Pretty much any other group. Um, and the ocean, you know, it is a living thing. And most surfers are environmentalists because they spend all day in it and they're sick of getting sick after it rains. So the question is with, you know, before there was any infrastructure, when it was just an anti establishment uh, sport and there was no money in it, there was also no money for environmental initiatives. Right, an industry didn't see having a clean ocean as a benefit. Whereas I wonder now, so and I don't know the answer to this. Does Nazare? Um, do, would they put more money into testing water quality now that surfing is an industry there? Because you see this happen both ways. Like I think that what Save the Waves is doing for surfing is one of the most important things because they're showing governments that hey, there's serious money here. And you should protect this spot because you are benefiting from it. But you see a place, on the flip side of that, like Bali, which is exploded from surfing. And you have rivers of trash that go out. And these are where you see these crazy plastic porn photos. So, I don't know that there's a, a simple answer one way or another. But... It would be great with all this this influx of money coming into surfing that it would guarantee a certain st- set of standards. So well, the- I mean, I mean
0: Nazaré must be one of the most polluted waters around with really? like the amount of jet skis that drive around there. Hmm. You know, there's, you know, if you count on, you know, there's just there's thirty jet skis on the lineup. understand there's no spot in the
2: world that has that kind of but are jet skis that big of a pollutant? i don't think think they are they're especially now the way they burn it's not like the old ones that were um what is it now they're fuel injected the old ones were i'm not a good i'm not a mechanic but i know that like they burn way cleaner than they used to right well compared to uh one of the biggest polluters in the ocean which is uh fishing vessels yeah that's what i was gonna say like it always trips me out in these marine sanctuaries That jet skis are banned and But these big diesel boats Can go blasting right through them It's like
3: well, a jet ski
2: is like a, it doesn't even have a propeller. So first of all, anything it hits, it just bounces off. It has almost zero impact to the structure around it. It's not, you can't tell me it's any louder than a diesel engine. If you've ever been on a boat and been around a diesel engine, you need he- earplugs just to go near that thing. And yet we can't, they say no, no skis. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that they let us take skis at maths because we need them. But the reality is that we're breaking the law. They could come down there one day and give all of us massive tickets and we would be super bummed. Or they could stop us from going out, which sucks because then there's no life saving going on out there. But like, what's so bad about a jet ski? Because really, there's not comparative. Yeah, not comparatively. That's for sure. I mean, if you
1: look at the amount of plastics that is in the ocean because of fishing nets, it is mind boggling. Uh, the guys at Barreo Skateboards, they're these guys that make um, like uh, cruiser skateboards out of fishing nets. Um, it's awesome. It's this great program that they have down in Chile because the issue is, is that um, the fishing vessel nets, are they're kind of like climbing ropes where you'll, you can only use them a certain amount of time before the structural integrity is compromised. So a lot of fishermen around the world will just cut their nets loose after a few times of use because they don't want to risk having a huge catch and then having the whole thing break because they would lose all of the, the money that they would get from the yeah. fish. Um, so you have these ghost nets floating through the sea all over. And that, uh, coupled with intentional oil dumping, which a lot of uh, fishing vessels do in inter- international waters, accounts for a massive amount of... Uh, Pollution.
2: It's crazy, too, because, you know, the people you think that rely on it the most are the people that abuse it the most. It's on every level. One time I was in El Salvador and I was shooting from a pier and I watched this fisherman get an horchata in a styrofoam cup and then throw his styrofoam cup right next to his line. And I'm like, dude, you're trying to catch fish right there. And yet you're throwing your styrofoam cup right into the water next yeah. to your people line. are just not educated, right? Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's an education ed- thing. It's, and it's a it matter d- of like,
0: also n- what I like in Portugal, man. Our European society is not as informed as 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 yours. You understand? Or uh, I wouldn't say not informed, but not as caring. Not like you understand? For from you know, it's it's just you know, like people people don't you know, like, are not so caring about single-use plastics, right. for example. You know, there's plastic bottles everywhere. Everyone uses plastic bags in supermarkets. You know, there's no... There's no... People are not trying to find alternatives. You understand? I feel like over here in the U.S., people are really starting to, to get at everyone.
1: Yeah. Well, and- th- those initiatives have been going on longer here. You have organizations like Surfrider and Save the Waves that are based over here. People also have more wealth. So if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you're a poor fisherman out at sea trying to feed your family, working 15 hours a day, pulling fish up, having to go miles further out than your father did because these international fleets are raking up all the fish. I'm sorry, but if I was in that position, I wouldn't give a fuck about that styrofoam cup. And you you don't have time to think about something else, you understand? And I feel like in our Portuguese
0: society, everyone works eight to seven, full on, you know, like our minimum wage is 500 bucks, you know, like a month. A, yeah. There's a lot of people that don't have the time to right. kind of think about that. Yeah. So
1: it's easy to, you know, stand here on my racehorse <laughs> called entitlement, being the privileged white kid from Santa Cruz. It and- is. But
2: at the same time, um, it doesn't take, you don't have to be a privileged white kid to look and use your eyes and say, this probably is hurting me. As much as I think it's helping my immediate needs right. of getting rid of this fishing net, it's hurting me. It's not allowing the fish populations to thrive, which is what I'm here to catch. Yeah.
1: Well, here's what needs to happen is you you flip it on people so that they take if they take pride in surfing, they take pride in their community, they take pride in conserving that environment. You you bring conservation in as a set of values to make people like Pack Your Trash in Santa Cruz is this initiative that a bunch of old local guys do. And it's, they make T-shirts and it's Pack Your Trash. And growing up in Santa Cruz, I was not. I mean, being a young kid, I wasn't very environmentally minded, but I was nervous that these old guys were going to snap on me if I left a plastic bag down at the beach. So culturally, it was ingrained. And I think that if you get the culture on board and then you put pressure on the international companies that are producing all the plastic... Then you see the real change happen. The problem that's, that we face in Bali is that you have a company like Coca-Cola, which is the largest plastic polluter globally. This last year, there, was, um, there were beach cleanups in 42 countries uh, around the world, fat, uh, over 10,000 beach cleanups, because this uh, group called Break Free from Plastic wanted to identify which companies were the biggest plastic polluters globally. So, they identified all this plastic. And they found that Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle were the three largest uh, plastic polluters globally. Like insane numbers. There's how's this number? The equivalent of a garbage truck of plastic is dumped into the ocean every minute of every day. Oh, that's insane. That's fucking insane. So I think that you, as as a society, there should be a certain amount of individual action. That happens from from. Uh, People, like athletes like yourself talking about it and saying, hey, it's cool to pack your trash. And it also comes from pressure, uh, us putting pressure on these international corporations and saying, hey, fuck you, you can't just sell us this plastic bottle and then be rid of it because you're putting it into a country like Indonesia that has zero waste infrastructure to deal with this. So you're making record profits, kick rocks, you need to build a waste infrastructure too.
2: Yeah, you got to do something because it's really, it's a true problem. Right.
1: But the corporations love putting the conversation on the individual and saying it's all, oh, it's your fault. It's like. Well, that's why they're a corporation
2: because it's never their fault. It's never their fault. It's just the bottom line.
1: And it's like Purdue Pharma bringing Oxycontin to market, which is one of the most addictive narcotics known to humans and saying, um, no, it's, it's non addictive. They were, they were sued for over $600 million. Yeah. For false marketing, and then saying like, "Oh, it's so horrible that you have this drug epidemic." Oh no! Sorry, here we'll come up with a new drug yeah. to help deal yeah. with this. Now drug. we're gonna come up with Suboxone. Well, Suboxone is a drug that gets um, yeah. her- uh, gets opioid addicts off opioids. <laughs> 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 so they own the fucking the beginning, the middle, and the end. Yeah, they can profit. I, I tell you what, <clears throat> all the way to the bank. Just the way our our medical system
0: works is 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 insane. I've I've been struggling with, um, with, how do you say, skin allergies since I'm 12 years old. Um, just every second week I'd have skin allergies, went to the doctor all my life, prescription, pills, 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 all my life. I'm 28 now since I'm 12. Okay. So that's 16 years of have taken pills, two and two weeks for a week. So half of my life I've been on pills. Um, I've been having this hip injury, um, i went and saw a doctor i was ready to get surgery i had so much pain surfing sitting on my board always had so much inflammation on my hip and this one day i was just sitting with my girlfriend and she was like oh giving me shit because i couldn't commit to anything and um basically she said like hey let's let's you know like i want you to stay off bread for a month so I just stayed out, out off bread. I love bread. In Portugal, we got the most amazing bread in the world. Holy
2: shit, their bread is good. Oh, I so that. I backed that. I've been around the world 10 times over, and holy shit, the bread I had in Portugal may be the best bread I've ever had in my oh, life. So we got a really strong
0: bread culture. Our food is bread, ham, and cheese. That's what we <laughs> eat all day long. <laughs> so it was really hard to stay off the bread, but I made it for a month. Um, I, I was starving. There was mornings I was starving, um, and you know what? The results were insane. So um, no bread for a month. That was no it. bread for a month. Did you, did you like, drink alcohol no, I too? Didn't, okay, so basically no bread, no no gluten in no general. Gluten. Okay. okay, so beer, uh, pasta, uh, certain types of grains, and um, basically, so this inf- this um this uh, allergy I had since I'm a grom and taking pills all my life. The first months, I, the first months in 16 years, I've never had it. Was was during that month I didn't eat any, any gluten. That hip pain I had, that I was always almost getting surgery, completely disappeared. And there I am, 16 years later, after taking pills. Doctors always said the only solution is pills, 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 and they never thought about nutrition. You know, it's fuck, man. It's you know, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And uh, oh
1: man. What's the medical system like in Portugal? It's um is it as fucked as, as it is in America? It's um so our our uh public um
0: our how do you call it? the um uh, public health exactly the, the the public health care is actually the best health healthcare is better than the private. Wow. So the best doctors are in the in the in the in the public uh, system, so you know anyone has access to them. Uh, and for, you get
1: it through taxes. Yeah, so you're exactly. taxed, and does, so does for everyone free. get free healthcare? Every everyone gets f-
0: the best and and for free. Wow. But so
1: our doctors paid a lot of money. Unfortunately, <sighs> huh. not. You know, like huh.
0: wages are really really low in in Portugal in general. Um, you know, minimum wage six hundred bucks. Uh, a doctor, you know.
1: Is it a democratic system there? I'm very ignorant to yeah, yeah, the yeah, political you, structure there. Yeah. Okay. You can ask my. M- yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, man, yeah, it's, dude, it's, it's amazing what changing your diet a little bit will do and how, how long we put up with feeling shitty. I feel for people, man. Like I'm lucky enough that I listen to a lot of podcasts. There's, there's good information out there if you want it. And to, to think about how many people are suffering because of a lack of information. No, like thinking that just, Oh, that back pain is normal. I got to live with it. I was, I was part of
0: that huge amount of like percentage in, in the world that has no clue about nutrition and that doesn't believe how, you know, changing your habits a little bit might change your life. There's people who are suffering with, with, you know, pain, chronic pain for years. And those, you know, that can easily be changed. You know, for example, I was speaking to Albie and Tori and all these guys that had hit surgeries and and I was so close to getting the same uh, surgery. And, um, you know, I was telling Albie, dude, like, before you go to surgery, take, you know, like, work on your... Work on your diet, like change certain things, try to figure out what's good for you, what's bad for you before you go to go get your surgery because, you know, like surgery is ultra invasive and, and can, you know, like a recovery is,
1: is, is years. Yeah. Dude, beer will kill you.
2: It is so bad for you. It's so
1: bad. I, I have, um, I love beer. I've been drinking beer since I was 16 and I've always been kind of moody can ask people like close to me or I'll get kind of just like bummed out. I'll get depressed a little bit. And, uh, this last month, uh, while I was doing the motherfucker awards, I decided to do a whole month of sobriety and not drink at all, smoked a little bit of weed here and there, but I was doing a healthy diet for the most part and I felt so stable. Hey, here we go. No Instagramming during podcasts, um, dude. I felt like my mood stabilized finally, so I'm a I'm a big believer in that too, man. Changing a few, uh, just a, f- a few of those little tweaks and just replacing the habits Diet makes, a, makes, huge makes a, a huge difference. Yeah.
2: I joined a group of guys who train because I got a little fat with kids, and I um, I just needed to shed some weight. So my buddy who sur- who I surf with, he's a trainer, and he's like, "Come join this group. We do." where he gives us all of our food and we train every morning from 5:45 to 6:45 on the morning on the yeah, beach man. throwing sandbags and then he gives us all of our food that we're allowed to eat for 2 months so Oh wow. all your breakfast, lunch, dinner and everything and every day he sends you an email like seriously explaining the nutrition and like what your body's doing and what oh. we're trying to achieve and it's super in depth of like crazy nutritional information and sure enough in two months i dropped 37 pounds wow congratulations it was just like but it's, that's
1: hardcore that's a regiment man But yeah. but it's great but I, it's, I
2: i don't eat breakfast anymore i skip breakfast the clarity just, you get in your mind is unbelievable yeah like just from healthy eating and your body feels good and you just—it's you guys. We've been going for almost two hours. This was fucking radical. Hold on, we got to do one okay. story before okay. we wrap this right. up because we hey. need the next. No, no no, set. no, 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 no. This let is fine, yeah, cool. good.
0: Let me just let me just put this in there.
2: Okay.
0: How long has Seth been waiting for this moment? Just uh, to, I need get to get on, get on the, this off just, this is my chest. Just, I
3: need just, to get this Just one to off.
0: get on the podcast. <laughs> edges expresses feeling right. you know? <laughs> he's great this he's is really fun <laughs> rub no
1: you guys are really good it's the shit right I love <laughs> podcasting no, it's, it's so it's fun sick. it's talking shit with friends without phones yeah, <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> no well it's the best we, thing we, ever we, next time especially we'll, with you guys like sometimes we'll I do these podcasts where it's like an investigative journalist I need to bring my notes and I'm prepared I'm like don't sound like an idiot Kyle don't sound like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: next time we'll, t- we'll do a little more shit that's, talking that's how yeah. I felt
1: alright I didn't want to offend
2: anyone today but we gotta tell the story because last time me and Nick Von Rupp here were in Half Moon Bay I know you were Manorings. crying I s- I, last time I, I saw you tear. two together you were crying I had shed a tear because I literally had the worst the 24 story. hours of all time okay so I took these guys up to uh, Alcatraz to shoot some portraits because I thought with uh, three big wave surfers I had uh, a man Chofani Russell Bierke and Nick here so we went up there, and we went out to Alcatraz for the day, thinking this would be awesome. Had a really incredible time out there. Let me tell you, if you've never been to Alcatraz, you should go to Alcatraz. The place is moving. It is spiritually crazy. It has an energy that's crazy. I left that place. My heart felt like it weighed 300 pounds. Wow. I, uh, my buddy's
1: sister does escape from Alcatraz every year. They swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco. That's sick. That's crazy.
2: But they wear wetsuits.
1: Uh, They wear... um, Do they wear... Super thin wetsuits, yeah. No, I want to say they don't. That they they use uh, Vaseline. A lot of swimmers use Vaseline to keep warm because it beads the water off of you or There must be so many sharks
2: on that stretch. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of sharks there. Nick, Nick's terrified of the sharks around here. Fuck.
1: Talk about a lo- I, a lonely I, moment. Imagine being a prisoner in Alcatraz and deciding
2: to try and swim to San Francisco.
1: I don't oh think God. the last
2: thing you're worrying. I think at that point you're you're not lonely. You're fucking psyching. <laughs> Dude, yeah, you're like if you're wow. out if you got past the bars at that point you're fucking psyching. So yeah.
0: basically, uh, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're we're coming home from Alcatraz. We had this sick day. Super happy. We get to the car. And we could see, like, like the car was parked right there in front of the, you know. The on boat. the
2: Embarcadero.
0: So, basically, we walk up to the car, we cross the streets, and we could see on the other side, like, that the window was broken. Oh, no. We, like, instantly went in shock mode. We were like, what the fuck? You know, we, like, opened the door. I've never been robbed, so. You've never been robbed? Never been robbed, no. Not even broken window
1: or anything like never.
0: that? Never. Wow because I I leave everything open man. I'm you know like I feel right. like people that's, get robbed when they're when they're paranoid.
1: Right. Well, that's what people in South Africa do. You just you leave your doors unlocked and don't leave valuables in the car.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, I had $30,000 of camera equipment in the car.
1: Well, if you would have left the car door open, maybe it wouldn't have gotten <laughs> jacked. Yeah.
2: Well, at least the window wouldn't have gotten broken. They could have So just you got
1: $30,000 of camera gear so st- jacked and from we had Alcatraz. just had
2: we just had the day before a great mavs session where these guys got some crazy lefts. and i was the only one over there i was I was the only record of any of these waves and it was all there gone in that 800 all no, 30 grand worth of gear plus the car keys and well plus the car keys the car keys, so- keys for my car that was back at mavs
1: Oh, no.
0: And I had, like, I had my wallet. I had my passport. I had everything in the car. We had surfboards in the car. Nothing got stolen besides Get the camera gear. gear. And this was, this was like, on a,
2: on a main road. There's a lot of people passing. There's, a, you know, like... This was not a backside sketchy street. We parked right in front of the pier for the ferry to Alcatraz on Embarcadero. So,
0: basically, you know, like, we realized that sets gear got stolen. It's me, Otman and Russell looking at each other. And you know, like, when you're angry, there's there's a lot of levels of... <laughs> there are levels of anger, know, yeah. There's right. levels of anger, and this was... I don't know.
2: I don't know how to explain the, Seth. Suffering,
0: Seth the suffering of...
2: Seth was contemplating what the hell his life was. Well, no, at that moment, I was in well, such you know shock. I was contemplating, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I just lost... It took me took me almost 15 years to gather all that gear together you didn't have and insurance I, at the moment didn't i insurance. didn't knew i didn't know if my insurance had renewed or not because it does auto and i knew it was up for renewal and at that point i thought i hadn't paid the renewal notice turns so you have Turns out I had, yeah. But in that moment, I was like 96% sure I had no insurance. I thought I had just lost all my gear and everything, and I was. You see
0: what, you know
1: when, but you had insurance. You know
0: that feeling you have. I ended up, yeah. Yeah, something up having really, really, really bad yeah. happens right in front of you. Like I could only imagine having the same <laughs> feeling if someone. You know, gets run over by a car. Yeah, right, dude, you dude, guys like, are making. We this were.
3: Just shut
1: up, you. Can, Seth, you had insurance, dude. You no, got he, all your camera back. No, no, but all your no, camera equipment yeah, back. Yeah, but in that
0: in moment, that moment, <laughs> yeah. <I'm sitting laughs> no, okay. on the
2: per, on the curb, taking It's not I Like lost. watching
0: someone get run dude, over. I promise you. I promise you, dude.
2: I, it I was, was like I was railroaded. I was. Shut I was like up, weird, Seth. It's a, a,
1: camera equipment,
2: bro. It, yeah, but three that's of my us. career. Like three, three of us <laughs> Dude, three of us were career. just looking
0: at each other. <laughs> Are you going to speak to him? Like He's just sitting there was
3: like watching down. my brother Die in my arms He gasped It was no, hey, the last it, thing it, it He ever really said
2: Hey when you've put Your whole life into something And you watch someone Rip it away from you Like that you are I sh- feel You're shattered I, I, you f- what, I, feel you, I feel you Seth There's I a, feel a homeless
1: guy In San Francisco Taking some amazing
2: portraits hey, though now he, He's got some crazy Mavs <laughs> left footed
1: He's got some of the Sickest if, left shots ever What if ever. a story comes out 10 years from now And there's this amazing Portrait photographer And he says Well how I got my start Was I was homeless I was drug addicted to Oxycontin and I was a thief. And I shattered this guy's window and I took his camera equipment. And then I took a photo of this little girl. And my life completely
2: changed. Go and fuck y- yourself.
1: <laughs> what if it inspired him to turn his life around?
2: Yeah, he can go fuck himself because. Yeah, I was heavy. <laughs> the, story, the, story, the story, does not end that like no, that. I, I wish, I, I wish so much so that the story ended right <laughs> okay. then and there. All right. So basically, we
0: we were like getting in the car. Half an hour later, no one's talking. You know, like we're ready to go to the to the police station and and make a report. Um, you know, uh, Seth grabs the car. I'm like, dude, are you, are you right to drive? He's like, yeah, yeah I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> So, well, I got but you. he's like stressed. He's like, he's got these all <laughs> sorts of like like she types tw- of angers like, <laughs> like, like relay twitches <laughs> like you know he's he's angry but at the same time he's he's sad <laughs> disappointed like depressed confused Conf- nah, no, this was cr- like crazy I've, like everyone was quiet in the car so we're driving back oh, on the way that, to the, that
1: sounds like such an awkward and he's like he's you know like, what you do in those Seth's, moments you turn on a Kyle Tierman podcast <laughs> to shoot your Dude, day off.
0: there was no mood for a Kyle Tierman, Tierman podcast right there I tell you that no. It was like, bro, uh, it looked like uh, we were going to a funeral. i tell you that. <laughs>
1: you know what? You don't want a Kyle Tiern podcast preaching to you about plastic pollution right was, after you?
0: That was a, I, I probably it was, it was a really sad Got moment. Stolen. So we were, we were like, okay. we we're like driving
2: <laughs> on the way to the police station. You know, Seth is driving a little fast. Not, like, extremely... No, not, like, aggressive by any means. I mean, I was going the speed limit, but... No, but he's driving fast. He's not, like, you know, he wants to get there as soon as possible, you know?
0: Or he's just over it, you know? Like, we're, like, all quiet in the car. And then we go through a, a light. It's green, and all of a sudden, this lady just just like U-turns in front of us and we just completely BAM! Smack the back of her car. (laughs) And Seth like, oh! Starts screaming my leg, my
2: leg, my leg. Yeah, the airbags fired off and my knee got all buckled in sideways. and like, Dude, it was like the first accident I've ever ever had. I'm like in Uh, shock. Only my airbag goes off. No one else's (laughs) airbag went off. Just me got full airbagged. Like full on like... This is like on a main road, you know? Like there's people crossing roads and stuff. Like we check if everything is that dumb cunt Just turned left In front of us For no reason
0: So basically I uh, run out To check if the car Is still there um, The car was there And then I run back to, to Seth To see if he's fine yeah. You know Because at this point He's like Screaming And um, you know Like The car just leaves And uh, Yeah they took, off. The, wait, bitch they took t- off
2: the bitch took off No yeah.
1: Oh, Seth. You're being shit on, man. I was being shit, shit on. on.
2: No, but it keeps go- I wish, okay. I really wish the story ended <sighs> All right. there. All right. We got to wrap this up. It
1: keeps going. Wrap this up. Anyway, Nothing that
2: bad has happened yet. The car keys got were in my bag, too, that got stolen. So we finally get in the accident. She runs. And then the insurance, this is the insurance. By the way, is still fighting over whose fault it was okay. in the accident. But it was your fault. You rear ended her. No, I didn't rear end anybody. She turned left through an intersection in front of us. Oh, okay. We clipped her tail end because she turned in front of us through the intersection. Right, but weren't you coming up off the back? No, we were just going straight down the road. Okay, we were just going down the road, and she turned in front of us, like through the intersection. When it wasn't clear It Mm. was completely her fault But (laughs) Anyway so the car keys were in the bag And the next day Mavs was the biggest day We've pretty much ever seen it And I was stuck in the parking lot You were stuck in the parking lot That is a bit of bad news
1: It was big that day But it was only good for like an hour Hey. And you're probably gonna get a better day coming up this week. I hope so, so, gentlemen, this hope was so much fun, wasn't this? This was fucking was good, cool.
0: that good was time. That we that was went epic. all over the place. Haven't had a conversation like this in over since
1: the start of social
0: media, pretty much. Right?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nick von Rupp, dude, I'm a fan. Where uh, where can people find you? Oh, yeah, social media. Exactly. <laughs> Instagram, Nick you Von can Rupp. Find me on my in social barrel, media Matt's And In you. the
2: tube. In the tube. We'll see him. That's it. Seth in the tube.
1: Seth R O U L E T on social media.
2: Yep. Yeah. Find right? me in the tube with Nick Von Rupp.
1: No, you won't be in the tube. You'll be <laughs> on your longboard.
2: Well, I'll be swimming in the tube. I hope.
1: That was a blast. Cool. That was awesome.
2: That's our show. I'm
1: going to play you out with a song called Cat's Got Time by Nate Maingard. Nate listens to this podcast and he sent me some groovy tunes. If you are a musician and you want your music played at the end, please email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send those little voice memos. So let me know where you are in this moment right now. You don't need to be on a slack line in Bolivia. You can be at your office. You can be walking your dog. You can be clipping your toenails. I would love to hear about it. Just try and keep it under a minute and email it to info at kyle.surf. Once again, this podcast is now officially brought to you by Santa Cruz Medicinals and Mudwater. So you can click the link below to mudwtr.com and scmedicinals.com to check out all of their products. I'll see you guys soon. Wish me luck this week. Uh, all of you, be safe out there if you're going in the ocean. And hope you enjoy this song called "Cat's Got Time" by Nate Mainguard.
3: For material medication Should we blame our education For this fucked up situation Fucked up situation What is it that we fear Come close but not too near Let's smile and shed a tear For the songs we love Love to hear all I need's a patch of sunlight from where to watch the world run by you tell me life is a rat race. I'm no rat, I've got time. This cat's got time. This cat's got time. This cat's got time. This cat's got time. What is it that we chase? Our future has a face, full of wonder and grace, full of wonder and grace. All I need's a patch of sunlight, from where to watch the world run by. You tell me life is a rat race. I'm no rat, I've got time This cat's got time This cat's got time This cat's got time time. To watch the world run by You tell me life is a rat race I'm no rat, I've got time This cat's 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 got time It up, nine lives to back it up, nine lives to back it up, nine lives, nine lives.